to you by Aura Recovery. They're located in sunny Southern California. They were created by Bob Forrest and his friends, Evan, Jared, and Bob. Their mission, a noble one, a kind one, to treat drug addiction and alcoholism by means of compassion and connection rather than control. Their team has many years of treating co-occurring mental health disorders, including severe mental illness. They get it done nicely. Everyone we know that has been there has told me that. They have amenities you wouldn't believe. Or maybe you would if you've heard this ad. Sound bath meditation. Equine therapy. The potentially spiritually transformative sweat lodge. Fucking surfing. If you're fucked and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California to get help, I cannot suggest Oro enough. Check them out at ororecovery.com and read the reviews. Oro will not let you down. This episode of Dopey is also sponsored by Custom Stickers. Are you looking to add some personality to your notebooks, your water bottle, car, or laptop? Do you need a unique way to promote your brand or team? Do you want to make stickers? At Custom Stickers, you can create your own stickers using your own logo, artwork, or pictures. If you don't have a design, they have a wide variety of high-quality stickers to choose from. Custom Stickers makes incredible dopey stickers. Go to customstickers.com, use the code DOPEY20, save 20%, and if you want a free dopey sticker, write me at dopeypodcast at gmail.com, and I will give you one. All right, and if you're looking for another recovery podcast to listen to, I need to suggest Recovery in the Middle Ages. They are a podcast all about two middle-aged suburban dads and their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. 
Listen as they discuss current topics of interest to the recovery community, including 12-step, the newest medical research, books, movies, TV shows, and they talk about their daily struggle to maintain their recovery and anonymity in the world of soccer moms and PTA meetings. If the neighbors only knew. Check them out wherever you get your podcasts or at middleagesrecovery.com. Hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and other dumb shit. My name is Dave. It is the first show of 2024. Yay. I'm very excited. I want to want to start today real quick by celebrating some dopes and their time. First off, Canadian dope with the unprecedented two dopey tattoos is Lorne with a year. Yay, Lorne. Second, oh, this is a good one, is Aaron. Do you hear the fucking creaking chair? Does the creaking chair bother you? Listen. Does that bother any mesophomics out there? It makes me crazy. I should I got to get a new chair. Got to get a new chair. But but we got to celebrate Aaron who got a year. Also Aaron wrote in a really nice email that I never read. I'm going to read it. Hold on. All right, this is a little a little schmaltzy, little self-congratulatory, or Aaron being very grateful to Dopey, so I'm just going to warn everybody. She writes, Hey, Dave, wanted to send a note as I'm approaching one year of sobriety. I've sent you multiple rambling emails in the past five years, some of which were in the height of my depression. Sometimes it just helped at that time to try to put my thoughts together, even if it was some rando podcast host I don't know. But I want to share with you the impact you've had on me, and in particular, as I reflect on the last year, I came to a dopey Zoom on day one, December 15th, uh, last year, and I was a total mess. It was. She was a mess. Steve was leading the meeting. Shout out to Steve, recovery role model and all-around good dude. I had no idea you'd be taking over that particular meeting. I think you were launching your Wednesday you know, that old app that used to sponsor the show thing at the time. But to me, it was just an example of higher power in action because I had been listening to Dopey for so long and thinking about getting sober, and I was just unable to get out of my own way. And then all of a sudden, you were all there in real life, not just in theory. It was kind of a trip to have been listening to this podcast, hearing about this community for years and years, and then instantly being a part of it. It turns out Dopey Nation is even more amazing than I imagined. Don't even get me started on DopeyCon. That was an incredible culmination of what you and Chris started. Having all those dopes descend right into my hometown was fucking magical. Not going to start rambling again. I just wanted to let you know that I'm eternally grateful for you and the Dopey Nation. And one of these days, I'll bump into you somewhere in Chelsea and buy you a cup of coffee. Until then, much love. Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. Thank you, Aaron. That's very nice. And uh, you make that meeting great, you know, and, and we are still doing Wednesday morning meetings. It's just Dopey Nation now. Go to patreon.com slash dopey podcast, sign up for Patreon and come to our Wednesday meetings. Also, there's just a ton of good shit on Patreon. If you are a dopey fan and you are not on Patreon and you have a tiny bit of money, 
uh, that you think should be going to the good works we do at Dopey, then join Patreon. Fucking, I just put up the, the full-length video of Mrs. Robinson, the doggy cream pie adult fan uh, wizard who, who did a great interview. And I'm about to put up the Johan Hari video. And um, I just put up a video of me playing Selassie as the chapel, which is not great, and a song I wrote at Renaissance years ago, which people are enjoying. There's a lot of good shit on Patreon. So join Patreon, www.patreon.com slash dopeypodcast. Also, it was Dopey Drez's 11th anniversary. Let's hear it for Dopey Drez. She will be back on the show soon. I just want to go to L.A. and do it in person. She will be back on the show soon. And I think old-timey dope fucking deep sound diver, I think he calls himself, Eric Zawicki, just got four years also. And there's a lot of other dopes who, who are celebrating anniversaries. And I, I only mention the dopes that I know pretty well. So if you want to be mentioned on the show for your anniversary, just send in your anniversary to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. And then I have, oh, yeah, also, if you like the show, tell your friends, subscribe to the show, leave a five-star review for the show, do all that shit. It, it's, it should be helpful. So please do that stuff. Also, are you sober? Are you California sober? Are you sober curious? Are you using? Where is you? Are you a stoner? What, what's your deal? I would like to know, is this now a recovery show? Is this a podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit? I'd say yes, it is both. I am just curious. I am not doing a survey for any weird powers that be. Let me know where you are in your sobriety journey. At, just to, I'm curious, like how much of the audience is, where are you guys at? Send it in to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Is that too invasive of a question? Maybe put that in the email also. I'm very excited about our show this week. We have a guest that I've wanted to have on for years. He is another kind of local dope in my community here in Suffolk County, New York. His name is Andre. He, he's he been through it, and, and I'm excited. We spend a lot of time going over a lot of shit, Suboxone and Kratom and all sorts of stuff, opiates and stealing drugs from the pharmacy, and it's, it's a good one. But before we get to Andre, I just want to say that this episode of Dopey is brought to you guys by the good people at Mountainside. I'm sure if you listen to Dopey, you know what Mountainside is. It is the rehab where Chris and I met. And it's it's a very important place in the origin of Dopey. It is the origin of Dopey. It is also a great treatment facility. Mountainside has a full continuum of care, which includes detox, residential, long-term residential, outpatient, and recovery coaching. They have a great family program. They have a huge range of holistic wellness activities. Many I've participated in. I did there spiritually transform or potentially spiritually transformative sweat lodge i walked the labyrinth there with chris we were in the woods all the time we did yoga mountainside was an amazing place to start my recovery journey and if you're fucked and willing to go to connecticut it should be for you too they have a special dopey page at mountainside.com slash dopey check out our humble beginnings and if you need anything call them at 1-888-833 four nine two two that's mountainside eight 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 three three four nine two two 
So I always get lots of really cool stuff in the mail and on social media and in our emails. And I just got this weird fucking message on our email or on the Instagram that I wanted to read. It's a note from an Australian chap. He says, hello, mate. I really need a import export license as I'm a people smuggler and I have a 40 foot container full of people and cocaine. It's floating just west of Tassie and I need to get it to the docks before it hits New Zealand waters. But I need it in a day because last time it took a week. And by the time I, I got to them, they had all run out of food and ate all my cocaine. Then on the dock, when we opened it, they they all piss bolted about 50 meters, then dropped dead just like cocaine bear. It was a fucking disaster. I was selling red, wet bags of cocaine, oh my God, for months. So I need this box through the docks as soon as possible. Can you help? That's rough. Red, wet bags of coke for months. Is that too much? I don't know. I'm assuming this was a joke. We at Dopey Podcast do not think human smuggling is particularly funny, nor red, red wet bags of coke. I just want to say that we, we, we do not... We do not support human smuggling at all. Uh, they, they also sent this note. What's the note? All right. Uh, too far to be bored and sober. Sober scares me, mostly because my dark soul shines and I know that it's all me. There's no chemical influence. No, he's tripping off his brain. It's that just normal and he's a take no prisoners, more kicks than a bush doof but i swear he has multiple personalities so keep him at arm's length kind of guy if there was a school for serial killers i'd probably graduate with honors i just had to read that stuff it's just it's it's far out there so i read it all right i got this other note it says dear dave jackie from arkansas here i have notes to write about demonic morphing seeing myself on acid and michael dowd ha 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 I so hope my normie husband finds that note. Anyway, my two cents on Dowd, phony, douchey, and unauthentic. Not even sure why he was in my notes, to be honest. Now, Gary, I think that's right, episode 444. Gary was real, raw, and 100% dopey. His mentions of demons and demonic realms coupled with his crack addiction hit me hard. Unlocked some memories from back when I'd stay up weeks at a time shooting meth. I remember one instance when I'd started the week off by getting kicked out of rehab for fraternization, ended up at mom and dad's, ugh, left when the plug stole said plugs, money, and meth, ended up holed up at this woman's apartment with a few bags, a bag of rigs, and that excitement anticipation throughout my entire being, knowing I was about to slam the meth, and the rush that accompanied it. I was still a semi-new junkie at the time, you see. Thinking back on it now, I can still feel antsy. If only those feelings and highs lasted. I was such a new junkie that I still had to have people hit me and sometimes would get people who would hit me hard with big or thicker doses because they could. Some thought it was funny, some to take advantage, maybe, Perhaps a few just because they wanted to help me out because they knew how it one was. 
This time, the woman had to slam for me, and she looked at me and said, You ready? Boom. I'm coughing, laughing, instantly overwhelmed and in love with meth and how meth made me feel. Everything was magical and mystical. I carried a journey around and just wrote and was high. The journal was red leather bound and even has stains of my blood on the cover in true romanticized junkydom. That was day one, hour one, the happy time, LOL. Fast forward three days in, she's invited a couple dudes here and they're walking around, everyone high on my shit, my stolen shit. She hits me with so much at one point that we have to walk around because I felt everything slow down and I was afraid I was about to fucking die. It was the one and only time I've actually slowed down from the dope. I have no idea why or what that was, but I looked this bitch in the eye and said, I'm done. And she was scared too, probably because I was a child that could die in her place. And she said, okay, stayed with me till I was okay again. And then a few hours later, I'm fixing up more. As I walked through this apartment higher than I'd ever been in my life, they're in her room watching porn, and I keep walking around, and I walked into the front room to go write some more, and Oprah was on the TV. But instead of Oprah's voice, all I heard was porn and moaning, and this went on for what felt like forever. I'll wrap this up because there's far more details I could get into from this week alone, but how it ended is the reason I revisited the whole story. So maybe day five or six, I dozed off for maybe three minutes, but it felt like three days. I woke up to a huge bud laying in front of me and some guy saying, is she okay? Give her this when she wakes up. Not sure who that weed angel was, but he was trying. So the woman and her guy friend and I were all in the Oprah room now, and she was fixing me up another shot, and they were on the couch. And I'm across the room on a chair and footstool thing, writing, writing, writing. She comes to me. I'm almost crying. She looks me in the eye and says, we don't do that, and gives me the shot that skyrocketed me back to pure happiness. As she goes back to the couch with dude, she looks animalistic, like the back of a woman slash wolf. I just keep writing, zooted, happy. They sit on the couch and use and start talking about the good old days and the fire shit, think John Leguizamo and Spun. And I look up at them, and they look at me, and they kind of start taunting me about what am I writing and giggling at me. I keep watching as their banter amuses each other. Their eyes had turned black, all black for a minute uh, or two, and they both looked like different creatures, hunched, evil, demonic. I just watched, and like shaking my head, they were them again. I don't remember how I ever got home or how I got out of this period, but I'll never forget them changing and being evil together as I watched. Needless to say, I never went back. I'm going to stop there, and I'll send the seeing myself on acid story later because this one got way longer than I'd expected. Hope it makes the show. Send me stock socks or stickers. I have no dopey stickers. Stay strong, dopey nation. Fucking toodles for Chris. Prayers for Jay. Much love, Jackie. All right, Jackie, you can get socks and stickers for that crazy story. How are you doing now? Send me an update, Jackie. I want to know how you're doing. In terms of Jay, I had planned Jay being on the show this week, but to to be honest, to keep it a hundred, keep it at a buck, as the, the the young people like to say, fucking Jay is is out of pocket. Jay is out of pocket. Talked to him a few weeks ago. There is substantial news about him, but I will not talk about it until he comes back on the show. 
and I think I'm going to have to go to his restaurant. I, I'm thinking every day, I'm like, today is the day I'm going to go to his restaurant, and, and one of these days I will, and you guys will get a proper Fentanyl J update. But everyone should pray for Fentanyl J. Pray for Fentanyl J. I think that should be a new, a new thing. Pray for J, 100%. And a place that Jay could probably benefit from going to is Diamond Recovery. I'm so excited to have Diamond Recovery as a dopey sponsor. Adam and Ross and the folks at Diamond are just on a mission to help out as many friends as possible who are dealing with addiction. And anyone dealing with addiction is a friend of ours and a friend of Diamond Recovery. They've got three awesome residential treatment centers up and running, and they've set up a 24-7 hotline. The number is 855-625-8124. They have a spot in Georgia. They have a spot in Florida. Check them out. One of their facilities in Florida is all for co-occurring mental health disorders, so if you lead with co-occurring mental health disorders, check out Diamond. They can help you. Also, the facilities are beautiful. The, the phrase that always got me is they took a hospital and put it in a sweet hotel room. Call them at 1-855-625-8124. The people at Diamond Recovery Group can help you. So call them up. All right. I don't know who listened last week, but uh, we got a really, really great voicemail from this guy, Paul, in England. And uh, he followed up with another chem, gay chem sex based voicemail. I don't know. I never hear about straight chem sex. Does anyone out there have any straight chem sex stories? I guess Jackie's story kind of um, intimated a little bit of crazy chemy, methy sex stuff, but it doesn't sound like she participated in it. Either way, here's Paul Bear from England. Hey, Dopey Podcast. Hey, Dave. Um, no, I just wanted to um, actually uh, just have a little bit of in-depth, um, I'll say conversation, but it's one way I'm recording this. So um, anyways, hope everybody has a good New Year's um, and a good 2024. Um, just following up on my, my other message. Um, the one thing that I just wanted to, what the big issue that is, is having is, you know, my husband and I, um, we use Coke, you know, hand in hand with beer when we go out with friends. Um, and then during the pandemic, we would use it, stay home and then found out that if you take cocaine, that your sex life is enhanced. And I say enhanced at the time it is, and you look back on it and you're like, wow, that's great. But then you realize with, you know, with cocaine, you can't get it up, <laughs> you know, to be frank, you know, so nothing's going on. But at the time, your, your inhibitions are, are, are really low, you know, you're bringing out the extra, 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 extra large dildo. I mean, just to be frank, doing things that you wouldn't do when you're, you know, when you're not high. And then waking up in the morning and, you know, going to walk the dog. And on the table, there's four huge dildos, you know, sex toys, um, jock straps, everything. And you're like, oh, my God, what did I do? And then on top of that, the feeling of coming down is just absolutely horrible. So not only did this, this drug, you know, used to enhance, you know, being social and everything, it was used for my husband and I. Now, 
I'm a, like every time that we have sex, and the only time we have sex is chem sex. Um, and it's like we're almost using the coke, getting the coke, um, you know, every other week, sometimes every week, just to have sex because that's what we're associating the two. So it's just really, really difficult. It's really, yeah. Um, I know that if we probably use this, used it out like at a club, at a nightclub here, we would probably, our relationship would, would have, you know, definitely opened up and brought other people in. And that works for a lot of people. It just, I know it wouldn't work for us. Um, so I'm just really worried. I'm just wondering, Dave, if you have anybody, if there's any episode that, you know, focuses on chem sex and how the two and two go hand together. Um, I saw a couple, you know, videos on YouTube of it and it, it sounds like it's a nightmare. I'm definitely gonna have to seek help for it. Um, it's just something that I really, really, you know, don't want to associate my, my married life with. Um, but it seems like, you know, that's what's happening. Um, yeah. Uh, if, you know, anybody has any information, if there's any, like a, a certain therapist that focuses on that, um, online, that would be great to, you know, if you can let me know. Um, sorry for some of the frank um, wording there, <laughs> but um, it's the truth. It's the truth. I mean, it's all fun and dandy when it's going on. And, you know, and it, to be honest with you, it's not even fun anymore. It's just, you know, nothing's really working and it's frustrating. But, you know, at the time, it's, yeah, it's, you know, the next morning is, is absolute hell. It's absolute hell. Um, and I know in the GLBTQ community, um, it's more prevalent chem sex. I, you know, from what I've been told, statistics wise. But um, yeah, it's it's not we're in a, not in a good place with it. We're really not. And um, thank God I found Dopey. Going back on all the the podcasts, like I wrote in and I um, sent a voice mem memo in last week. Um, some really good info here. Um, Thanks again for listening to me, and um, I really appreciate it. Uh, toodles to Chris, and uh, thank you, Dave, and uh, thank you, Dopey uh, Nation. All right, thank you, Paul. Fucking Paul. Paul was very honest. Um, extra large dildos notwithstanding, you being honest is incredibly appreciated. In terms of dopey episodes with chem sex, uh, I can refer you. The most important dopey chem sex episode is, of course, all the real dopey people out there know that Dopey 99, which was called Even Gayer Than the Gayest Dopey Episode Ever, featured this guy Jason, who actually died last year, who tells us all about chem sex, specifically with IV meth. And, um, you know, the, there's, I don't think Ray ever talks chem sex, but he has some great gay episodes. And the first gayest episode, gayest dopey was, let me look, 95. Dopey 95 was the gayest dopey episode ever. 99 was even gayer than the gayest. And 99 was deep, deep chem sex stuff. But I appreciate you, Paul. Uh, definitely stay in touch. Definitely go to Dopey Zooms. Everyone out there should go to Dopey Zooms. They meet every day. They're totally free. The 
address is 804-300-586. The password is always lowercase toodles. You can find it on Dopey Instagram. Follow Dopey Instagram. Follow Dopey Nation. Follow the Dopey Podcast Group. Whatever. Just follow fucking everything. It's a lot. It's a lot of orders. We're doing an event at the end of January. Uh, Dopey presents Dry January with the Phoenix, and there's going to be guests. There's going to be Dopey storytelling. I think Ray is going to play a song. If you're anywhere, it's free. If you're anywhere in New York, you should come. I think we're going to serve pizza. If you're looking for a reason to come, it's going to be, I believe, January 30th. I will have more information soon. All right. Time for Andre. Andre is a very, very special guest. When we first started talking about Kratom, I was talking with Andre about it, and he had crazy experiences with Kratom, Suboxone, OC80s, heroin, you name it. I've known him for a few years, and he has some classic dopey business. But before we get to Andre, I want to tell you guys all about Discover Recovery it is an amazing treatment center in the Pacific Northwest where there is not enough good treatment. So if you're in the Pacific Northwest and you're looking for a good spot, you got to check out Discover Recovery. It was founded by our friend Chris Paulson, who was on the show, who's been through it. Brother of Cadillac, Ron Paulson. The accommodations are luxurious. The therapists know what they're doing. Most importantly, they try to do right by those who they serve. They operate with integrity. I say it because it's true. What Chris told me was check out reviews of discoverrecovery.com. They have a great track record and they care about their clients. So if you're fucked up and you're anywhere in the Pacific Northwest, check out discoverrecovery.com. And now it is time for Andre. <laughs> So I'm near the hallowed beach in Bayport. This is Bayport, right? Yeah, Bayport Blue Point. Ba Bayport Blue Point. I'm sitting with my friend Andre, who I met at the beach. And I don't know if you, I know you don't know this, Andre, but you said something. You don't come to the meeting as much as you used to. You said, please, you said something recently that I think about every morning. You ready for this? I'm ready. You said, I fucking sit on my phone in the morning and scroll on Instagram and I need to like fucking get out of it. So you pray and you say, God, put me in this and not in that or something like that. Yeah, basically that's the whatever the 11th step upon awakening. First thing I got to do, I know when I pick up my phone first, I'm off to a bad start, whether it's looking at my calendar and looking at uh, things I got to do for the day or if it's looking at um, Instagram man, just fears, doubts, not feeling enough. You know, and it's just distracting versus trying to connect. And I wish there was one way to connect every, you know, the same way every day, but there's not. <laughs> so I got to genuinely make that effort, you know, connect with gratitude, whatever it is. How do you, like, I do the same thing. It's like as though I need the stimulation mm -hmm. of social media or the validation or the I need to know what's happening, who texted me, who emailed yeah. me, who reached out before I I pray. Because, I, I mean, like, and lately, like, I've been sleeping later. Well, totally. And you know what's funny? When I noticed that, like, like yesterday, right, I felt, like, super drained mentally, emotionally, spiritually, everything. 
And uh, what did I not want to do? I didn't want to look at my phone. I literally left my phone there, but then I felt like I was isolating. You know, I really felt um, disconnected, but I just wanted to push that off, you know, and I didn't, I felt like just procrastinating. But yeah, I mean, of course the urge is there. You want to, you want to pick up the phone and, and, and look for that stimulation. But my point is, I know that when I do that versus, I mean, anything, dude, anything, for instant gratification that I do prior to connecting to my higher power, you know, it's, um, it just doesn't get me off on the right foot, you know? And, and you've been, how long have you been coming around? Um, about three and a half years, but I got two and a half years. Yeah. You, he used to be, Andre used to be very impressed with my shares at the beach. <laughs> very <laughs> impressed in the old days. Yeah, they has got some good stuff. Once in a while. Once yeah, in a while. yeah, yeah, yeah. Except for the, the little guilt, the little nudge of guilt. Oh, I haven't seen you as much around you, uh, <laughs> these days. It's more than a nudge. It's yeah. like, you, you need... Listen, yeah. we need you there. Yeah, yeah. Where, where do you go? You know, but nobody puts the amount of guilt and shame on me like I do. You, you mean know? I don't I do not do as much. I don't put as much <laughs> guilt and shame on you as you do. That's good. Yeah, that's probably a good thing. So but. I often say, and, and it's funny because Andre, Andre used to share about Kratom a lot. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and I was, it was like I was fascinated by Kratom. And it mm. seems like the whole world, like Kratom is like fucking toppled the addict universe in this really yeah. profound way. But I want to mm. hear your whole, the whole thing. Yeah. So like. Yeah, Kratom was at the tail end, you know, for sure. But. Um, was Kratom like trading heroin for benzos and oh, then, or for, for yeah, Suboxone yeah. Oh, and then yeah, Suboxone it was really for to get Kratom? Off, it was to get off the Suboxone, yeah. And I was just, I remember being on like blogs and looking up online and just really, wait, you know, knowing terminology from the, from the rooms, like, you know, basically I was just managing chronically trying to manage to get sober so i remember trying to get off suboxone which was one of the hardest things to kick and um you know finding out about kratom and so yeah let's 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 take it from the top because i can that's kratom is at the tail end let's start at the it, beginning yeah. so when is the first time you remember uh getting high well okay so um i was born in um actually lennox hill and uh in 1989 in Manhattan and um, Upper East Side yeah Upper East Side but I mean I lived in uh, Rego Park for like six months and then boom I just was out and uh, I grew up in Brentwood but my uh, my mom was smart enough to uh, send me out to Catholic school in uh, Ronkonkoma so either way point of the story is that uh, I was I was raised out there and um, you know my dad had left when I was like two. Really, my mom packed up me and my younger brother when I was like two, three. And uh, yeah, so I mean, that was tumultuous. She was a very, very strong woman. She, I mean, he was probably, he definitely was cheating and uh, she packed up and left. So either way, long story, but he was always present in my life, but I didn't live with him. He visited every other weekend, picked us up. He stayed in Queens or he, he moved stayed? Out he here? stayed in Queens. And um, so either way, he had remarried. Well, his second wife, I don't even know if they got married, but they they had a son, too. So I have, a, I have one full brother and then I have a half brother. Now, whatever. I was a young child, six, eight years old, whatever. But um, I witnessed that divorce go down. You know, it was just always like I feel like as a child, like I was always I had these big radar dishes where I was picking up on everyone and, and just involved in all of the adult goings. So I could just remember my dad when he was getting separated from his, his second wife. And I witnessed that and it kind of woke me up pretty quick. Being the oldest, you know, that woman, she would always kind of come to me, pick my brain about, oh, 
you know, just everything. And, and I, that's why I always give the advice to a, to a single parent today is, uh, you know, don't badmouth the other parent to the child. You know, it does them no good, you know. So, so I, I had dealt with a lot of that. I mean, it's a pro and a con. I think about it today and I realize, like, it's, it's really ingrained in who I am and how I'm very um, hypervigilant in, in picking up on others and trying to, I mean, again, I tried to fix everyone, tried to, and from a young, you know, young mind as a child, I, 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 it was so innocent. It was like so simple, the solution to, to, to fixing these adult problems. But of course it wasn't that simple. Did your dad get high? Now my dad, you know, it's funny cause as a kid, he never did it around us. It was always, you know, he would do his best. We would go camping, uh, snow tubing, all these different things. But I can remember thinking back one time, a couple times, but there was one time I was in the car with him and he was, he was having like a panic attack. He's like, I got to go. I got to go. I got to go to the hospital, go upstairs, go upstairs. And we, you know, we just had to walk back upstairs. Like I said, we were in the projects. He had just left. And I remember thinking, oh, he's going to the hospital or whatever, you know? And I can remember another time too, when he said to me and he, and I know he meant it. He was, uh, I was probably 10 left. I was young. He says, uh, you know, if you're going to try any drugs on the street, you know, you try them with me, do them with me. Like, like, I know he meant well, but it's like, you know, I, I know he was thinking it's better off doing it with me than with somebody else on the street, you know. Um, and thus began your unhealthy, close relationship it, with your father. Very, very good point. Yeah. So because here's checked out this story. So now we're on a handball court in Long Island City, Queens. And, um, with my, I don't know, I don't know why my younger brother or my half brother weren't with me, but, but we're on this handball court. I'm with my stepmom, and all of a sudden my dad just disappears. And this is what he was the king of, but he never did it when I was with him. You know, he did that to his, to his now third wife. Yeah. So he disappears and, uh, hours go by. My stepmom's calling. He's not answering. I, I think the night went, you know, so, so he had left. Okay. And, uh, my stepmom. She had no choice because now he was gone and I'm a, I remember pushing her up against like a refrigerator, like where's dad? And I, you know, I was between 10 and 12. So, but there was no, again, I was a little adult. There was no, you know, pulling a wool over my eyes. It's where's dad? What's going on? Right. So I, you know, I, I pushed her to a point where she had to tell me and, and she told me that he was out using cocaine. And, um, I was like instantly solution based in my mind, like, okay, this, we're going to, there's a, there's a way to fix this, right? He's using cocaine. Okay. So boom, I can remember plotting in my mind or thinking about, you know, what I'm going to say to him. And I'm also thinking I'm his eldest son. My mom couldn't fix him. His, the second woman couldn't fix him. And now his third couldn't fix him. But I'm his oldest son. You so can step in. And I'll step him. in. Yeah, yeah, Parent yeah. him properly. Exactly. So uh, I can remember a few. In the, the wee hours of the morning, he comes back in, and uh, I had this whole script in my mind of what I was going to say to him. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I was in tears. He was in tears. Didn't come out the way I wanted. But uh, I'll never forget one thing, though. His fingertips were burnt. And I didn't know what that meant at that age, you know, but I remember it distinctly. And then, and then moving forward, I really thought I got through to him, man. I really did. I, I, I just was like, you know, maybe he won't do it again. Okay. But then of course, months later, I asked my stepmom and he was, you know, still, still ripping and running. And, um, that was his thing. He would get his paycheck, leave for the, the whole weekend. You know, he did that to my mom. And of course he was a womanizer and all this stuff. And, 
so that happened. Um, now, you mentioned to me before we started that um, you've been doing adult children of alcoholics stuff. Yeah, yeah. Was all this stuff on the front of your head before you did it or after you got into ACA? Like, how prevalent was your dad's story in your story prior to you going to ACA? Oh, it was, yeah, it was. It, it was, was always the beginning always, of your story, no matter always what. Always there, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't blame him now because of the work that I've done in, in these rooms and in, 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 in my step work. You know, I can't. I, I can't blame him and be resentful. Or, or he. I always did think that it was the cause, that I was born with this. But then I learned in the rooms that it's a progression. And I, and I see the progression. And I wanna, I'm going to dive into that progression shortly. It's just, you know, I always thought it was something, it was a disease or something that you were born with. You know, it's funny, I was listening to someone just on New Year's Eve talking about, oh, uh, he's an alcoholic, yeah, his dad was, it's hereditary. And and in my mind, I'm I'm like, it's not. You know, I don't need to, to, to debate with somebody. But my point is, I've learned that it is a progression. And I learned, I can see now with hindsight, how it progressed in my life, you know. One other, one other thing I want to touch on with, with the dad topic is something else that we did together so when when i was young i was very young again i mashed everything in between between like eight and twelve but this i know was happening as uh as a very as a young child you know and um preteen rather and uh, so we would go fishing me and my dad all the time and or with the family but you know a few times we would go just me and him and we would go out of sheep's head bay in brooklyn and we would go blue fishing on a party boat you know till you know from seven to like two a.m you know, and it was great. It was a nice bonding session. And either way, I would go and I would go fishing and we would come home with a, you know, we'd have a garbage pail fill, fill, filled with bluefish. And then we'd be in Brooklyn at 2, 3 a.m., you know. And I don't know how this came about. I know that I, I still even, even can place some blame on myself because I had no fear at that age. And I was a way to connect with my dad. I was young. Maybe I was just entering puberty. I don't know. But I made it seem okay even though of course it wasn't you know my fault but um clearly something that he was already you know doing and, and but but we 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 went out together and um uh, and and he went and found a prostitute a street prostitute and um you know and I would be with him and I don't know we were you know just I can just remember you know distinctly you know driving around looking and and uh, and finding a prostitute and and we would even share them you know he would he would go first and then me and you know it was just it was no sex it was always just like a you know a, a blowjob or oral but well before uh, you even say another thing yeah. it's like you're 11 or 12 Very years young. old yeah. you I, and I'm going to I have a 13 year old daughter yeah it's it wasn't you you know what I'm saying? Like you, you you're like yeah. trying to co-sign yeah. for your, 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 your me. It's cool, Dad. It's it wasn't you. No, yeah, no. That this it's it's, yeah. it's like straight up abuse. Yeah. You know, it's true. a terrifying, it's a terrifying situation to be put in. Yeah. Um, I mean, my dad, like my dad's a very nerdy Jewish guy. He would never take me to a prostitute <laughs> for a blowjob. <laughs> my dad, my me and my dad, I would go to the the barber shop on Ninth Avenue where I grew up. And uh, I remember walking in there one time and he's looking at a Playboy, my dad. And he, again, very nerdy Joe. And I said, Dad, you're reading Playboy? Or I said, you're looking at Playboy? He goes, I just read the articles. <laughs> I'm not, I don't look at the pictures. Um, but 
to to co-sign that you had any responsibility for that situation, I, I think you need to absolve yourself. Yeah, yeah. So that I know, and that's what I've worked through. Isn't it interesting there. though? You were like, I'm, I'm uh, still. It's partly my fault. Yeah. I tell my dad I was into it. Yeah. You know what's funny? Because it's, it's something else I learned in therapy, which is what you said. My, my, I remember my therapist told me. She goes, "Go find a twelve-year-old and go look at them." And, and see what kind of child you're dealing with by just listening to them and, and seeing how they act. You know, it's a child, you know. And so that's so true. And it's so funny because now I also, another thing I look at is how I was always, I mean, I was his number one loyal. Like I had his back. This stuff was going to go to my grave. I mean, I had his back more than anyone, you know. And, and moving forward... You know, it's just I, I had I had later in life felt betrayed by him. And and I always was there to protect, to try to, you know, help him. And, you know, so so actually, let's let's cap that off. So, yeah. So before we do, can you remember getting head in Sheep's Head Bay or whatever in Brooklyn oh, as yeah. a 12 year old? Yeah. Was dude. it scary? Was it fun? No, what, that's what's your thing. recollection? Like, I remember, I don't remember fear i remember almost excitement okay and i can remember that's part of where i remember there was one time i don't know if i, I doubt it, it wasn't the first time because we had did we have done it a few times and uh you know i remember pushing him to keep searching you know or keep looking you know so that's why i think part of it is like i, I don't i know it wasn't my fault or anything but i at that age where you know you're now you're experimenting maybe you're starting to masturbate and you're like you know curious so i was i was i was definitely like you know and it's a chance to be closer with closer it's something no one does with their totally totally, it's a special thing yeah it's our special thing i get it exactly so uh so that's why i mean like there would be times where you know i would kind of you know or if he was on the fence i would push him you know but again what are we talking about (laughs) we're talking about going to see a prostitute with with your your 12 year old son son, which is i mean like the boys yes you know, so so how I definitely can see now I'm still learning how this had impacted my view on sex, view on women, just a lot of different things, you know, you know, because growing up, I would I would I would speak to other guys and 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 some were completely against the idea of paying for sex or, you know, paying a prostitute. And it's like, you know, I was completely desensitized to it in that way. So. Again, move, moving forward with 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 the whole dad topic, you know, I can remember later on, later in my teens, skipping past what I definitely want to touch on. I can remember being at a nightclub. Now I'm in my probably early twenties, later teens, and you know we're out in the city. My dad has this huge RV because remember he's super grandiose, he's a narcissist, and we had this huge RV. We're out in the city. It's probably wait. Hold on. Wait, what kind of an RV? Oh my god. Yeah. Like, like a like, Winnebago. Like a like a huge, one of those ones that have like the pop out windows on yeah, the side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice RV, you know. And I don't know. We picked up my friend from college. We had some family. We were just going out in the city and in the RV. In the RV. It seems very strange to me. So strange. So I can't explain how many the parking spots do you need for that. <laughs> He found one. Right. And I mean, the reason why I'm bringing up this one particular story is because I have a lot with my dad, one, with with regards to just always making a scene, drama, just, just you know, emba- embarrassing. Again, remember I told you I have those radar dishes. We could be at Lowe's. We could be at a diner. We could be at McDonald's. Like, it, you know, just 
lashing out at the at the person at the red whatever it was and i was just always you know uncomfortable or embarrassed or whatever you know or looking at the attendant and seeing how they're reacting or responding you know it's like a real primer for how to parent you're, you're reminding me of everything i do badly as Dude, a parent when i tell you man i remember being 12 13 14 and, and saying to myself like i'm gonna be a better father man like at that age you know, you're like taking notes, taking notes, man, for sure. But so what happened with the Winnebago? So, so we get there. The, the, the reason why, the, so, so we were, I have no there. idea, man. We're at an after hours <laughs> club now. It's 4 a.m. And I remember uh, my dad, I don't know, again, there I go, hyper alert and just picking up on the entire, and I'm drinking, you know, and I'm paying attention to my dad and he's talking to this guy. And I, I, I saw the sleight of hand. I don't know what it was, but I immediately was just, again, there I go, parenting my dad, looking out for him, you know. And uh, I, he probably slipped the guy 100, 200 bucks. And now I'm over here talking. Now he's doing this while my stepmom's there. She's she's completely unaware. She's in the RV too. No, no, we're not in the RV anymore. Yeah, we parked the RV. <laughs> okay. We found the, the parking spot. I'm sorry. Spot. <laughs> I'm, I'm really fixated <laughs> on this fixated RV. On that that yes. detail, yeah. <laughs> yes. So we're we're at this cl- nightclub. Right. And either way. Uh, Do you I'm remember not... the nightclub? No. Again, it was like an after-hours spot. Okay. After four, we had went from one place to this place that was still open. And I can remember talking to the guy now, the dealer, you know, and just really connecting with him on a deep level. Now, mind you, I'm deep into my, you know, my own addictions and stuff at that point. But, but, but I was again. We're gonna need to backpedal. To we're get gonna to definitely the, backpedal. But so I just what, wanted I to touch. Hear what just so check it out. Yeah. So now I'm talking to this guy. I'm really, really connecting with him. I'm telling him flat out, listen, man, that's my dad over there. Um, I don't want him doing this. Um, I, I, I can't. I don't remember everything, but I do know specifically connecting with him on a deep level. And what, when would you ever? get money back from a drug dealer this guy connects with me and he goes to me and he goes i feel for you man he goes by the way are you a virgo <laughs> i'm like what so he determined somehow that uh that i'm a virgo are which you a virgo? i am a virgo yeah mm-hmm. and uh and i'm like wow and the point is that he had handed me the the the, the eight ball or whatever it was right and now i'm connect i'm talking to the man and i'm telling him why you know i would just wanted to I didn't want my dad to do this. And I and I was able to return <laughs> the eight ball. I gave it back to him. I got the hundred bucks back. And then I went over to my dad and I just put the money in his hand. And, you know, like I intercepted this drug deal. You're like, you need to get your shit together. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, the point of the story is, I mean, he and, and, and again, just with, with, with dad, he is not active at the moment, but he is the worst dry addict i i can ever i will ever think of you know he held this this woman hostage my stepmom she's still with but you know he hadn't been trusted he can't he's not trusted to go to 7-eleven anything on his own the funniest know? thing about this to me it's like if this story was the story <laughs> like and you were you know a community leader a local politician running the town I'd 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 be with you, but you wind up becoming a horrible opiate addict. <laughs> it's, it's like the story, the the picture you're painting. It sounds like you really had your shit together. When yeah. did when when does it become mm. evident that you do not have your shit yeah. together? Yeah. So, okay. So all right. So now we're thirteen, fourteen. <laughs> yeah. You know, and uh, drink. Just you, like, you know what I'm saying though. Yeah. It's like it's like you're like my dad's fucked up. 
I had to parent him. He can't be trusted. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, meanwhile, what the fuck? Yeah, ha- what, what did you do? <laughs> what was your story? Well, um, like I said, um, I'm born '89. So I mean, when I was like 13, 14, now we're in the early 2000s. Here in and Brentwood. Here, well, no, now I had moved to Ronkonkoma. Yes. Um, I'm of Hispanic descent. I'm Cuban. And, uh, but again, I don't, I don't speak Spanish. You know, I don't, um, um, second, third He's generation. Cuban? No. Uh, well, my mom's full Cuban. My dad's half Cuban, half Puerto Rican. Oh, that explains a lot of the story. That's great. <laughs> that, 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 that's half the story. That's fantastic. Yeah. I, okay. Continue. Please. So, and then mind you, oh, and one major, major figure I left out in this so far is my stepfather who's been with my mom since I was around two, three in diapers and he's a Puerto Rican man, and he is the model of a husband, father figure, you know, patient, has all these values and morals, and has just always been there, uh, creating a very stable environment. Definitely, you know, a lot attributed to my mother, too. But, um, you know, I, I, it's just, but again, there was always that draw to dad. That little boy in me always wanted to go to dad, even as dangerous, whatever it was that he was. He wanted to also show show him yeah. who you were. So yeah. you you know you be connected, be be loved. It's your father, of course. I, I get yeah. it. Yeah. So again, but again, I had that stable home, and I want to point that out because it's not it's not because of any of this with dad that I, you know, progressed in my own addiction. So, um, had the stable home, just like every most people on Long Island. Started drinking with friends, my parents' liquor and stuff, and, um, you know. But for me, it was all about efficiency, man. <laughs> You know, whatever got me there quicker. I didn't enjoy the taste of alcohol or beer, but liquor got me there quicker. So I did that. Right. So um, and I didn't like fall in love immediately. But, uh, you know, I always did my best. Uh, I can remember a young age getting a job at McDonald's and then I got a job at uh, mom and pop pharmacy. Where we live in Sayville, it's fucking white as white Mm -hmm. you know my daughter isn't jewish she's half jewish and she's the most jewish kid in the fucking school like there's no latino kids Mm -hmm. there's like three black kids in the whole school totally how was ron Ron conkerman good good yeah this is why i say you're good at you're good at what you do dave well i'm trying to get to the the, it's funny because before i was about to dive in that's perfect that you touched on that because mind you i grew up in brentwood I was taking a small little bus over to a Catholic school in Ronkonkoma, and then I would visit my dad in Long Island City, Queens. So I wasn't so exposed to, um, I don't want to say white people, but I mean, my, my point is that when I moved to Ronkonkoma in the early 2000s, probably 2001 or something, I don't know, it was, it, there, there, was not, there was a very small percentage of, of any ethnic you know, people. So I can just remember... The, it was a different vibe altogether from Brentwood. And uh, I remember crying, crying my eyes out because I knew I was different. Right. And that I was going to deal with some shit. And I did, man. I mean, by ninth grade, I probably got into about five, six fights, you know, and then more in high school. Just, Racist just, shit. You know, stupid shit. Go mow my lawn, Mexican, you know, whatever the fuck. And it's so funny because <laughs> I had a crew of friends, man. Um we had one friend, we, we called him White Boy. I had one friend, uh, uh, it was from Turkey, we, was, his name was Turkey, you know, and then I was Mexican. But with my friends, it's so different, you right. know. Because um, you had your spot. Exactly. But, but, but uh, yeah, man, I had gotten into a few, fr- a few fights, and I can remember first day coming from, from uh, Catholic school, 
you know, so going to now pu- public school in seventh grade for the first time, you know, bringing my little lunchbox. Go. I remember going to my locker the first time. No joke, man. And there was this big, tall chick, completely shaven head with like a strand of blue hair. And she was just huge goth chick. And uh, she was the locker right next to me. And she looks at me and she goes, go back to Mexico. Wow. <laughs> Legit. And I was just looked at her and I go, go back to Germany, you fucking Nazi. <laughs> or something. Like, right, I just, you know, right. I did defend myself. You know, I mean, at that time coming from Brentwood, it was like a, like a little notch on your. You just know, so was, crazy. Because yeah. there's like, there's like, there's not a lot of Mexican people in yeah, New York. And yeah. I. And it's like these these kids don't understand yeah, that Mexico totally. is not where Puerto Rico is, it's no, not where yeah. Cuba is. No, no. But there's so much fucking racism in yeah. in this universe that we live in out here, and in, yeah. in, in, in middle class suburb suburban Suffolk County, like the fact that anybody who's from Latino heritage at all is called Mexican, Mexican when there yeah. aren't a lot of Mexicans. <laughs> totally. It's just like it's like it's yeah. it confounds me. Yeah, so it was definitely always a thing growing up, you know. And then 2001 happened, and I can remember a, 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 a huge sense of unity in the country. And, American and, and unity. American unity, you know. With it's funny because I was talking to a, a, this girl I work with, and, you know, she's of Indian descent, and um, she was like, not for me. <laughs> you know, and I right, get that, right, of course so. Right. You know, I, but my point is that for, for me, being being Cuban, like I remember – that it was just the, the the spotlight was not on me anymore, you know. Right. Not that you know. Not All to of a sudden, you pass. Yeah, yeah. So, but it was just always a, 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 a I don't yeah it was a, a kind of a struggle, but I got very good at it, man. I don't know by by eighth ninth grade, I grew my hair out, and I was so good at 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 um, assimilating assimilating and you know just becoming conforming and 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 you know i was friends with everyone i was never a bully man i connected with everyone the goths the the jocks everyone you know but the problem was that when i you know elevated to the jock crew or whoever it was the popular kids i always felt you know a little bit different imposter you know? syndrome exactly exactly because you know whatever whether it was the subtle racist you know comments or it was just something you know uh, I was different, you know, but I was damn good at it too. Like, I, I just mean like I, I, um, I elevated in any, in any crowd or, or uh, group that I found myself in. And, but, but I, but I know now later in life when I've learned to find myself that I was abandoning myself. Right. Well, it's like, that's the classic addict people pleasing shift. Yeah, of course. Like we, we, we need people to like us cause we don't. Exactly. And, and we need people to, to think something good yeah. about us because we don't. Exactly. And if you do, maybe I will a little bit, or at least I know that you won't think I'm the worst person in the world and totally. I can avoid killing myself for, for a minute. You exactly, know? man. So that's why. So now with that said, which I'm glad you had me um, sidebar you know, down, sidebar down yes. that, because for me, once uh, I was now working at that mom pop pharmacy, I was a good employee. You know, I was there for two years working the register. And now, mind you, this is like 2005, six, seven. You didn't need. Uh, I mean, again, it's a mom and pop pharmacy. It wasn't CVS, but I didn't need a license to become a you know pharmaceutical technician or anything. So now I'm working my way up. I'm counting and counting pills, filling scripts. And there was an older kid that worked there uh, about a year or two older than me who I grew up with. And either way. So what he did was, um, I can remember 
taking these Norcos. Yeah. And um, now, mind you, I worked at this pharmacy. I worked alongside a very, very intelligent pharmacist who owned this 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 pharmacy with his dad. And um, man, I learned so much. You know, it's so funny because fast forwarding, being on the street and listening to people talk about like what pill is what, like they were just so mistaken. You know, like oh, like like you you would you would hear like they would be kind of right, but they would be completely off with the. You know the drug that's inside of it, or, or right. mixing the works. name brand versus the generic or the actual name of the drug. Either way, so Norco's were my thinking back, man. That was my first. We took one every half hour. There was a, it was a yellow Norco. It was a ten milligram hydrocodone, which is a Vicodin, which is the name brand, but also. And that's what a Norco is, is a Vicodin? No, it's, it's the same drug. It's a hydrocodone, right? And then you have the acetaminophen, which was the least amount compared to, I don't know if you're back, back then they would say 750s, right? So a 750 was 7.5 milligrams of hydrocodone, but then 750 milligrams of acetaminophen, which is Tylenol. That's two and a half Tylenols per, per Vicodin. Vicodin. So the Norco was 10 milligrams of hydrocodone with only 325, with only one Tylenol in each. So efficiency-wise, so you're efficiency. doing better. You're there doing we better. go. So I took the one every half hour. Dude, by the end of the shift, I felt euphoric. Had you smoked weed up to that? Um, no. Wasn't yeah, a thing. maybe I tried it, didn't Wasn't like it. Wasn't a thing. I didn't smoke weed again until really college. Do you remember when dude tells you, oh, this Norco is going to make you feel good? No, no, man. He just... I saw him take from the pharmacy and take one, and then we would take one every half hour. I think there was a part-time pharmacist on. We wouldn't have been able to. And it was the far- were the guys who ran the pharmacy like, this is pre-oxys, right? Don't know, dude. This is this is prime okay. opioid. But, so they're not telling you, like, we have a serious problem. No, I those. mean, this was, this again, this was before it really started to hit the fan. 2005, six, right. you know, Prime I mean, time. You, you saw it pouring in. I mean, he was, again, very smart. He knew what needed to be guarded and, and, and everything. I think that that time they just started checking IDs for like Sudafed because people were cooking, math, yeah. you know, math and everything. So long story short, so I started there. We started taking these one, you know, these, these pills and I, and I just felt that feeling, man. And uh, I can remember... Uh, just it continuing, and then I don't know when it started, but um, I started to take a little bit here and there for myself. And uh, I had a very, very close friend with me that I would take some of these pills with, and we started out just me and him. And his dad worked for like the Weinstein Company. Either way, point is he worked in the in the movie industry, so we always had movie tickets. So we were able to just I would take the pills. And we would go and we'd sit and watch a movie at the theater, just rocked. Wasted. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and we did that for a while and it was just me and him, you know, me and him. And um, now, mind you, another thing with him is we, we were in high school. We started hanging out with the older kids or the, the popular crowd and, you know, whatever. But at that point, it was still fun. It wasn't something you had to hide. Um the Norcos. The, the, the pills. Yeah, yeah. Was it time, just Norcos? No, no, no. It wasn't Norcos anymore, just Norcos. It was it was it was OC eighties. It was it was not even Roxy's yet, man. It was all it was either OC eighties, but I was taking everything. I had like a bag of like of pills, man. From Soma muscle relaxers to Ambien's to Xanax, every every color you could think of um was in this bag. And um 
I mean, this is now as it's progressing, but, um, do you remember in that period? Like, cause that's definitely like the, like the conveyor belt that drops you off in junkie town. <laughs> but do you remember like when you start having a bag of pills? Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's why I felt like I fast forwarded a little bit there, but not really because it, it moved pretty quick because my friend, I'm now taking all this risk, taking these pills from the pharmacy. Right. But my friend, I decided I would just give him the pills to then sell. Now, mind you, again, this is all profit, you know, and we're, you were talking about a 16 year old here, 17 year old. So OC80s, Oxycontin 80 milligram name brand green pills would go for like 50 bucks a pop at that time. So I would take 10 of them, give them to him and we would make, you know, 500 bucks or whatever that is. Right. So and it was all profit. So. The other thing I can think of is um, just one, we both had nice cars for that age. Like, I, you know, whatever. I had I told my parents I was saving up money from, from working at the pharmacy legitimately. But um, And yeah, what, and what both, was more intoxicating to you? The idea of making no, a shit wasn't ton the money, of money? No, it wasn't the money, man. It wasn't the money the feeling at all. I, I never, I was not like addicted. I, I've, <laughs> Jay, yes. my, I, I know men that are like addicted to the, to the money. Even John. John Jukebox, like they were big time, like addicted to the money, addicted to the dealing. And, 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 and that was not me, man. I didn't want, I wanted to mitigate the risk. I, I would take the pills. Another thing that I did, instead of taking just from the pharmacy, now, mind you, again, this is pre, uh, when they started cracking down. So, so at that time, I can remember this one woman on Medicaid would come in and she'd get like 380 <laughs> Oxycontin 80 milligram right. pills in one month. For dude. pain. You couldn't get that from 10 cancer patients today, you know? And she'd get it in one month. So what would I do? I would clip her script for, t for 10 pills. She's not going to count them after the pharmacy gives them to her. So I would take 10 from her stock. That's amazing. Right? Um, and then again, I would make a couple hundred bucks. Me and my friend would split it. And those are powerful fucking pills. Powerful pills. You know, I can remember doing one with my friends and we would split it. This is years after, this is after the pharmacy now where we would, they were probably 60 bucks a piece, right? So then we would split them 20, 20, 20. <laughs> and we would, we would, one person would, would, would divvy it up, right? One, the person who makes the lines uh, is not the one who gets to pick, you know, because we were of that. Of course, of course. Now so, they can't make the line you and You can't pick make the line. it and pick, right? So, so when yeah. did you first snort? Uh, shortly thereafter, man, um, I really enjoyed taking them, right? You know, you take the, uh, time release off and how do you take the time? Re I never did uh, those oxys oh, at wow. all, ever. No, really? Zero. Ever. You went straight to dope, huh? There was, there was no oxys. Like where wow. I, where I was, it was, you were in the nineties probably. Yeah. It was in yeah. the, it was, in the, it was, I it, just realized that too. Like talking to, of course, people that were addicted to opiates years after me or, or before it was always different types of pills, whatever. And like, now it's all this fentanyl. Yeah, now it's fentanyl. But dude, back then it was it was the prime time. Right. You know? So those pills, yeah, I mean, we would I mean my friend reminded me a couple of months back we were talking, because he's in the rooms. The the guy that I would give those pills to is is in the rooms and he's got like, you know, six, seven years now. So um point of the of the story is we would take he took like a hose clamp. <laughs> just grind them down or or you would you know put them in your mouth and then just take you know just just peel them off is it easy to get it, it off? was very easy to get them off and then they would break down into powder form very easily and then you would sniff them and and now another thing 
is now mind you i was able to test out a lot of these these drugs you know whether it was again the somas were just muscle relaxers the ambien and the uh the the xanax those things were like boosters to my opiates you know sure. but i was totally totally addicted to benzos and opiates oh yeah time. yeah yeah so i got to experiment with a lot of these pills and another thing i actually got to experiment before i was really truly addicted was suboxone now back then was the uh the octagon pill yeah the form, orange one the orange pill right and i remember those would get me high dude the, I the, the dope was so crappy uh, that when they'd give it to me i'd get higher on the suboxone so than the dope you, you talk to someone of course you talk to someone coming off of heroin or fentanyl whatever now and they're not interested in suboxone but dude <laughs> when i when i first took it and again i don't know whether i didn't have a tolerance or i don't know but i took a piece put it under my tongue Dude, all day. It was all like the day great. I, I yeah, think yeah. I was even nauseous. I was so, <laughs> but, but I felt it, man. And 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 so I think back then, right there from the beginning, I knew, okay, this is a, this is a thing. This is a thing, right? So, um, so okay, so now you know, now it just fast tracks pretty quick. I mean, I did. How'd you lose oh, the job oh. at the at the drugstore? <laughs> You're good. You know that. What do you mean? <laughs> You're so funny because like I was ready to jump. Totally skip no, the most know, important you, part of you, the story. You know that when you're a 15 year old kid who becomes addicted to oxycontin, working at a mom and pop pharmacy, something's gonna go horribly wrong. You know okay, that, and it's about to, right? Yeah, perfect. So, again, I did my best, man. Even at that, and age, also I have yeah. to say this. Go ahead. There's nothing better than being a 15 year old with an with a opiate fucking addiction working at a mom and pop drugstore in Suffolk County. It's like a fantasy. It's the best. Did you ever see the movie Drugstore Cowboy? Oh, no, no. You have no, to see this movie. You have to see it. It's, it's a movie from the 90s, but it was about the 60s. And it's about these junkies mm. who drive around the Northwest looking for old timey drugstores to rob. Wow. And it's great. Wow. You have to watch it. But anyway, so how did yeah, you blow? But, <laughs> <laughs> this is why you do what you do, Dave. So um, again, I was I, I kept everything, especially at that age when you're now 16, 17, you know, junior, senior in high school, and I had these different groups of friends. And yeah, me and my friend, we would be going to these parties, and everyone would be drinking, but we would be, you know, breaking down the OC80 before the before the party. And at that point, now we had to start hiding it, you know. But again, I was very good at. I did so. It was so much work to protect my reputation. I didn't want everyone to know that I was, you know, sniffing total drug addicts. And yeah, um, did you know? At what point did you know? When you, you were know that your friends and everybody are doing one thing. I mean, people were dip and dabble, but at that age, we we progressed a lot quicker than. Did you I get mean, sick? Um, not really yet. Was I worried? Too worried about that? But I started to. When I, well, the reason why I brought all that up is because I just I did my best even at that young age to you know protect the reputation make it look like i was one thing when i wasn't you know make it, even though i was in, in in shambles inside outside i had to keep the car clean the the job all that stuff so now um going to about to i'm getting accepted to college i'm about to go to suny albany upstate right um and i did now mind you i got a nice Acura TL, it was like 2002, it was a nice car, and my friend too, he had a nice uh, Lincoln LS, we were, we, we were doing well for that age, you know, and I had a pocket full of money, I mean, uh, a few thousand dollars that I was going up to school with, so I went to SUNY Albany, at that time, the year prior, 
SUNY Albany was the number one party school in all of, of the country. So I went up there. Seems hard to believe. It, yeah. No, but it was, man. It was whatever those, maybe it was Barstool before it was Barstool. It was right, a ranking. Right, right, it, was, right. it was, it was, it was, and they were proud of it. Um, so we went up there and it was just nonstop drinking, man. Like you could go up and drink 14, 15 days in a row. Nobody would bat an eye at you. And it was a way for me to separate, you know, from Long Island was the pills. Long Island was opiates and, and, and school was, upstate was drinking. Um, so I was able to kind of, at that point I was already noticing that, okay, I can go up and then kind of, it wasn't full blown withdrawals, but it was definitely, you know, you knew, you don't you, feel good. You don't feel good. Um, and when you drink, you can mask it. Yeah, 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 a bit, you know. So for a while that worked. So the first semester I went, I spent all that money that I had. And again, for a college kid, I had probably three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000, and that was a lot. And I spent it all, you know, um, at the bar, right? Came back, and I'll never forget, it was Christmas time, and I went to the Christmas party for the pharmacy and then I came back and I and I worked my first shift. The first shift I went back, I was reckless, man. I mean, I knew where all the cameras were. I knew where I knew the whole in and in and out of the of the pharmacy, but I just went right back to my same routine. I grabbed this and that. Probably too soon. Way too soon and a little too reckless. Now what I did was they have the big pharmacy bottles and um I filled it up to the brim and I stuffed tissue paper at the top. Right, so it wouldn't rattle in my pocket. And then in the other pocket, I just had a handful of pills. Now, these were the harder narcotics. Wait, did you steal like that before? Were you uh, taking total huge bottles out? Uh, yeah, it would take a good amount, man. Um, but, 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 but I was working regularly, so just a little bit here just and there. Just be skimming. Yeah, yeah. But this time I kind of was going with, with the purpose. Because, yeah, I mean, it was reckless. I mean, I was still mindful, but also he had to be on to me. And I think at that time they were doing like an audit, which was a little concerning, of course, you know, but an audit of the pills. And so I had this full bottle of pills. Now, again, it was oxys? not all oxys, man. It was, it was a lot of, cause again, there's, there's like the class, the classes of the narcotics. So there's class threes, class one is your street stuff. You know, you have your heroin, crack, crack. cocaine, stuff like that. Class two was your hardcore legal narcotics, which was oxys. At that point, now you had Roxy's coming in, um, Adderall, you know, fentanyl, you know, whatever. I, I think um, the analgesic they had the patches, patches. Yeah, exactly. The lollipops. Oh man, I remember the lollipops. Did they have time. the lollipops? I the didn't get it from the pharmacy, but I had gotten it on the street, like a legit fentanyl lollipop. It tasted awesome. And, um, but again, it was, you're That's opening all we a would do. All we would do in rehab is sit around dreaming about fentanyl lollipops. <laughs> yeah, they were good. <laughs> I they never, I good. never got one. I, I never, mean, never they weren't, I mean, me. yeah, again, peak was definitely the OC80. Right. Um, it was just clean. It was, uh, yeah. Dopey so, Nation's obsessed with the OC80. Oh, the OC80 is, yeah, that, that's where it was at. So everyone will know. Um, cause then after that, they came out with like Opana's, which were not as, as good. You couldn't break them down. They had like a gel. You know, they, whatever. It was a lot harder to take off the time release and. Break well, that was down. their business to prevent people like you from taking yeah. to to use uh, oxys like that. Totally, you know, and um, and then of course they just uh, and then roxys became a thing, and then now it was a dollar a milligram, you know, <laughs> and so on. Now, mind you, okay, so I have this bottle, this huge bottle filled to the brim in one pocket, and I have a handful of pills in the other. So I'm working, and now it's eight p.m. And the owner 
isn't in, you know, but uh, he decides to walk in at that time of night, which he never did. Oh, so, boy. and I'm putting the, the stickers onto the bottles, you know, don't drink and take this medication. <laughs> yeah, laughing with every sticker. <laughs> so I'm putting all these stickers on and uh, he comes in and I just remember to continuing doing what I was doing and he comes up behind me and he says to me, Andre, empty your pockets. Oh, oh no. Dude. My heart was in my throat. Oh, my God. I thought my life was over. So instinctually, the first thing I did was I went into the pocket with just a handful of pills. Now, mind you, these were most of the pills in the bottle were probably class threes and below, meaning uh, your your Xanax, Somas, Ambien's, Norcos, Vicodin, stuff like that. Yeah. But then the oxycodone, whatever, the handful of pills I put on the table. Um. He's a pharmacist. He knows every single one. So he's looking at them and he goes, oh, we got class twos. We got class threes, you know, and um, he's looking at him. So, boom, he caught me red handed, dude. Um, 17 year old kid. No, maybe I just I was probably 18, man. I just remember specifically saying to him, hey, man, can I uh, can I go out and have a cigarette? Like stressing out. I'm in tears. You know, the women that worked there were trying to calm me down. And um, I go outside and I know where the cameras are outside. And I'm looking and I'm thinking instead of putting this in my car, because I'm thinking the FBI is. Because he didn't get the bottle. No, he did not get the bottle. So I needed to dispense of the bottle. So I went outside and I threw the bottle in the bushes in front of my car, thinking I was about to get searched. You know, I go back inside. You know, I'm crying. And by that that, that time, he's on the phone with a detective or a a, a cop. Right. And. uh, they're on their way. So again, I'm You're losing it, dude. Yeah. And I immediately think to myself, okay, uh, so I forget what happens. He hangs up the phone and he calls his dad. He calls his dad, who's also an owner of the pharmacy. And, and and again, they knew me. I was there. I can just remember him listening on the phone and, you know, um, just taking it in, whatever he was saying. And I'm assuming what he was saying at that time was he's a good kid. He's going to college. You know, he's got his life ahead of him. And uh, after he hangs up the phone with his dad, he calls back to the police officer or the detective. I don't know. Calls it off. The guys never came. We go outside. He's talking to me. He's telling me, go home. Tell your mom. I'll be there tomorrow. And I'm like, I mean, I wasn't like ecstatic at that time. But I mean, I was definitely a little bit relieved because I'm not worried about telling mom. (laughs) But um, you were worried. About I was that. worried, of course. This just blew up in but my face. But you didn't have to man. go to jail. Which but is I didn't nice. ha- exactly. So, what was the first thing that I did, Dave? You got the bottle. I got the bottle. He I, didn't see you get the bottle. No, of course not. And I left. I'm sure that was the most thrilling thing of all. Well, of course, I was just. I mean, dude. I, that's, the second you leave the pharmacy, in my head, I'm like, how is he going to get the bottle in the car? <laughs> and and I, you know, and I'm years sober. <laughs> that's all. It. That's all. I. It's that's like, where's so the bottle? How's he gonna hold on to it? Can I get the bottle? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like it's that's, so that's how we are though. Yeah, yeah. So I immediately called one of my friends. He picks me up and we dove right into the bottle, man. Uh numbed it all. And I remember the next day driving past my house, seeing his truck in my driveway, and I just kept driving, man. You I didn't just, go home. No way was I coming <laughs> into that conversation. So, so what uh, happened? I just Man, you never, you me, never got into never, the conversation with him and your mom. No, no. What and, did your mom say, uh, dude? You know, my mom is such a 
loving, supportive, amazing, strong woman, dude, that like, I don't know. My mom always has my back, you know, she, the fact that I was okay, not going to jail, like, you know, I can, she probably, of course she reprimanded me and it was an issue, but it, it was my, it's mom. Do you, you know? think she knew? Oh fuck! No, I don't He's think she's a drug knew addict. The, no, no, she's she's got this. She was being protective of you. Yeah, and her, just denial. Yeah. She didn't know. She no. She never knew. If anything, she always knew the iceberg amount. You know, she never knew what was really the, the tip depth of the iceberg. The, yeah, tip, the of tip of the iceberg. iceberg. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it was definitely wow, like shocking. But I don't think she knew the devious, the level of of deviancy that was that was there as well. So. Okay, so so now that happened, and I can I can remember for a while after that thinking that I was going to face like a like a lie detector test or something. And my main strategy was, oh, I'm going to take some some Xanax and to I'm going to pass it. this yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. You know. So, but it never came. It never came. I continued. I went to college. I was so blessed that that um, didn't blow up in my face. But there was something building. Something yeah. was a brewing. Because you know? maybe if it had, it would have gotten dealt with then. Maybe. Probably but, uh, not. Oh, though. yeah. But another thing I wanted to, t- to say was just after that happened, this is like 2007, eight-ish, right? So now within a year, man, pharmacies on Long Island were starting to get, uh, what the hell was the word I'm looking for? They were just getting stuck up. There was a, there was a, uh, there was a shooting. There was someone that got, there was a woman, it was a girl that got killed out in Patchogue. Man, if this, if what happened to me happened a year, two years later, I would have been all over News 12. Of course. Which is the local news channel here on Long Island. My face would have been planted. I mean, it was, it was progressing pretty bad as, as. The thing that, that strikes me as odd is it makes me think of that story with the RV uh, in Manhattan with your dad, and you were 22 in that story. You were a horrible pill addict. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't. What 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 piece of that was in that story? Like, did you have pockets full of fucking no, Percocets? No, no, or- dude. So you got to remember, I was 17, 18. I got caught red-handed. Right, uh-huh. So now I switched from this whole dealer, quote unquote, mentality to I was always a user, dude. I was never. I didn't like seek out like I had a friend of mine that would always be wheeling and dealing like to, to feed his addiction. He would he would he would, you know, deal and whatever. I just I just never had that into me. All I cared was, again, about the efficiency. I just need my fix. And that's what I would do. But did you after you lose the, the gig and you lose this ridiculous supply, <laughs> are you using at the same level? Because um, that probably requires. Like a lot of action. I mean, it was it was it was a roller coaster, dude. Now I go to college, right? Freshman, sophomore year, I almost flunked out. I had to switch majors. Um, and then I started to study. And what was the way I studied? Oh, I needed to cram, and I would take Adderall, and I would, you know, be up till four or five in the morning the night before. And and I started to get better grades, and I stayed, and I partied, and I managed, dude. And now. I'm in my you know sophomore junior year, and I can remember specifically a time when the pills made their way up to Albany. Not by my doing, but just... That was the thing. That was the progression of just everyone, man. So um, I remember it, how it, it affected... It started to change the, the, the view of, of things up there. It was now, of course, the pills were becoming a priority. Uh, it was actually a crazy quick story that um, there was this guy I was buying blues from, Roxy's, and um, 
I don't know. He was from like upstate or something. And, and I remember uh, going to his house and these are, this is college, you know, college ghetto, student ghetto. So now, uh, you know, the doors are open. It was just people coming and going. And I can remember it was a huge stormy, a snowy night, probably a foot of snow on the ground. And this, this kid, whatever, I buy a couple blues and I decide I'm going to come back here and I'm going to just take him for what he's got. So I, I, I end up going back. I call a friend. He didn't want to come. So I went alone and, uh, you know, suited up and I just came up through the back of the house, jumped up on the back balcony, went in, opened his door and he wasn't there. I know he went out and I got probably a hundred blues and hundreds of, maybe two, $3,000 or something. Huge. Was that yeah. the biggest first? Was that was that a new thing, robbery at that level? No, no, never was I ever. Let me just tell you something. I had this. I have this belief where, like, you have a as a man with a you know, with a a good, loving, warm mother. I always had this heart that, like, I was never cold. I've seen people in my life that are cold mm-hmm. and can hurt people with yeah. no remorse, and that mm-hmm. was never me, dude. And uh, real quick, actually, this reminds me of another story. Years before, I was with a friend. This was in high school era, and we had a friend that we called. We called this guy to come give us OC80s, and we were so stupid. But he came, and he was with his girlfriend, and we ran out front, and we and we and we jumped him, and we went to go run his pockets and take the 80s, and we didn't find him. And his girlfriend was standing right there, and we let him go. And she had and guess pills. what? Yes. The pills were in her yes. bag. Yes. So like, I, and I know I was friends with kids that would have like punched her in the face or taken her bag like i could have never done that but that you know? heist the, the the great blue heist the in great- albany <laughs> like that i mean that seems very exciting to it me it was too. exciting but it was in my mind i wasn't harming anyone but him you know um and more than I, that you were getting blues and money it was my fix yeah, yeah i just and i got it and i can remember you know a lot of my friends at that time were going away to cancun and I didn't have the money to now go. You, now now I did. Yes. I remember calling my mom and telling her I hit the lotto <laughs> to go. So yeah. I went and uh, I remember just diving in those pills. And, of course, your tolerance and everything goes up a lot higher when you have more, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, You're like, Mom, there's this idiot upstate New York dealer. I, <laughs> I just won the lottery and robbed him. <laughs> the great blue high yeah. <laughs> Of course. That's so funny. So, yeah, I mean, the progression, man. Um, cause now, uh, now I'm in my twenties, come home, land a good job working at, uh, at cable vision now. And, um, neither way, man, my point is I, 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 I had the good job, but I didn't realize at this time, or maybe I did, I, I needed something no matter what I was doing, man, whether I was going on a date, going on a job interview, going to work regularly, going to Easter, Christmas, New Year's, whatever I was doing, I needed something. I needed my fix to feel enough, man. I didn't care if I was an hour, two, three hours late to the party. For me, for me, it was you like I, I think I had a mix of uh, anxiety yeah. and neuroses. Like, mm-hmm. and, and and opiate and Xanax and, and weed for me were very good for for neuroses and anxiety. And I and I used before I did anything. Mm-hmm. And and then it became like my way to actually finally not give a fuck. Yeah. Like that's all I wanted was to not give a fuck. And then I found this totally. thing that did it. And then the problem is you get totally addicted to it. And the only thing you can yeah. give a fuck about is how do you keep it? Totally. I mean the pills, man. Again, the clean from a pharmacy, 
legit mm. prescription pain pills to me were the 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 the, the epitome. Like I, I would take them, I would want to clean my room, yeah, you know, go be productive, yeah, and then yeah. sit down, not out. Yeah, it's it was just complete yeah. euphoria. Smoke you know? cigarettes. <clears throat> oh my god, yeah, smoke cigarettes. I never really enjoyed cigarettes, but I definitely only smoked cigarettes because of. My opiate addiction, yeah. you know, and I never really enjoyed smoking weed. I did smoke more in high, in college. Um, again, it was another enhancer to your the, opiate yeah, addiction. Yeah, yeah. And but again, I was all, I was also a garbage head man. Like whatever you were doing, mm-hmm. I'm I'm gonna try. You know, like I can remember whatever cocaine. You know, but of course I wanted to end the night with my first love. You know, if anyone had any pain pills, but. I had experimented with the, you know, the ecstasy and the mushrooms and all that shit, but none of that was ever really addicting. No, um, no, like opiates, you know. But it was, it was, they were always exciting uh, experiences. Experiences for sure. Whereas, like, the opiates were a way of life. Like it was, it was a surrendering of my reality to this thing. Completely. So when, when do you start noticing I'm getting sick? Uh, I'm not really functioning anymore. Yeah. I mean, to perform at work was, was tough. You know, I needed, I needed it more often. Now I'm leaving. I mean, it was a, I was selling cable, knocking on doors and it sounds like, you know, back then this was a good job coming out of college. Nice salary. And I'm sure you were good well. at it though. Yeah. But again, I only went more so when I was, Hi. I had my fix. Yeah. So because nothing could touch you. Yeah. So now I would I would leave work. I would drive out east. I'd get my fix. I'd come back. And then even if I was a few hours into the shift where normally, you know, people, I caught up quick. I, I, I knocked on a million, <laughs> whatever I had to do. Um, there was no fear. No, no worry. fear. Because you felt so good. Yeah. But you realize. Like, They're like, maybe oh, I'll feel that good if man. I buy cable vision. Jesus. Yeah. I can just think back to just how much like. And you think you're good. You think you sound good. Like, I can't explain. I'm going to fast forward too. like, I I can remember I just recently I was with someone at a diner after a meeting or something. And I could tell that they were I know that they were on Suboxone and like how brash and all over the place right. and talking and just interrupting and loud. And like and I just at first I wanted to judge her. And at, then I was just like, that's me, dude. That's how I was. And I thought my intentions were pure. I was trying to like run, you know, run the show, whatever I was doing, but just so disconnected, you know? So backtracking, but now I'm, I'm at, this is now I'm working. I'm in my twenties. I'm, and, and, uh, I don't know, man, it, it progressed at different points. You know, there was, when's the first time you remember being like, I'm fucked with this shit. Oh dude. At that time I knew I was, I was, uh, it had me for sure. Like the pills, like I knew I was, I was, I was definitely fearful of the withdrawals from the oxys, roxies and stuff. And, you know, knowing even so that it would be like three to five days, but it was just waking up and knowing that there's a, it's like having COVID or, or the flu, but you know that there's a pill that's going to make you feel even better than without it. You just like, had the flu. Did you, were yeah. you I, I just had the flu too. And, yeah. and like part of you, part of me is like, I, I know this feeling so well, um, but I also knew that if I if I got heroin, I wouldn't feel bad. Yeah. I'd feel great. Well, well, my thing is that when you when you're sick, you know what it is, and you know you got you got to let it run its course. Like it, 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 when you're it, actually sick, you mean. when you're actually yeah, sick, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like when you're sick from opiates, it's like you know the cause, and 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 you're just so down and out, man. I can just remember. I never got to a point where I ever wanted to 
to kill myself. But I, I remember like wanting to be asleep and not be awake. Oh, sure. Oh, my God. You know, so and like the fantasy of that rapid opiate detox. Oh, my God. You know, I, I did this for years trying to get sober, man. Like, I don't know. I had this spiritual abnormality about me where I knew what I was doing was wrong. I wanted better for myself. My mom, again, my mom, like I, I was raised right by my mom and, and my stepdad. And like, I just wanted better for myself, man. I wanted a good life. And I knew, I knew for a decade, man, that the the drugs were the, the main issue. And without them, I could obtain it. But it was like, it felt as if I was at the bottom of a mountain with like a pitchfork, you know, like it, it was just like, I always felt like one baby step in the right direction or just reset and do it tomorrow. You know, I can remember how many, it was like a Thursday at work and I'd be, you know, using subs or whatever I was using. And I wanted to stop on a Thursday so that I can experience the withdrawals Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then I can get back to work. Get back to work yeah. Monday. What a joke. But then I would use Thursday, then Friday, yeah. then Sunday would come. And then it's like, and dude, weeks, years sure. passed that way. And it was just always tomorrow I'll do this. I'll get this. I had faith though. I always had that faith that I would one day. But dude, it eluded me for so long. Where was the worst the uh, the addiction got? So, uh, you know, this then led me to one of the things I never thought I would share with people. I mean, but again, I, I again, because I protected my reputation so much. But this is the story of the opioid epidemic in the country, man. Like, forget just Long Island, but the opioids became super expensive, less available, right? So I can remember you're now sniffing pills. So sniffing heroin was not a big jump. No. You know? And I mean, I can remember it not feeling the same it felt dirtier maybe i was judging myself but it actually didn't feel as clean as, as well it wasn't as the, 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 yeah. the chemical wasn't you don't know what you're getting when exactly. you're sniffing heroin you, know, you don't you don't know if it's if it's any good yeah. or how pure it is or yeah, where it's man. coming from or what's in it totally so so i did that that's kind of why i feel like i missed out on the whole oc yeah. world because no, all i did yeah. all i did was like Mostly just garbagey. It's so fucking funny. It's, it's so crazy because I can I understand exactly why because you were doing heroin, and then the opioid epidemic happened. So you weren't going to go back. No, <laughs> to, there was no. It I was mean, like it was also I I had all of my systems in place. Yeah. By the time I was using, addicted to heroin, I was yeah, like I wasn't going to stumble onto some pill dealer. Or yeah, something. and now it was at that point it would have been way more expensive. Yeah, than it, your heroin and it didn't make any sense to me. Yeah. So things were. I also enjoyed being a hardcore heroin addict, I have to say. No, see, I thought, like, I didn't let my, I did, I I didn't want to, again, I had the, the opportunity to be home at my mom's, like, but my mom was probably, I hate to do this, but she probably, she definitely enabled me, you know, I was able to, because my friend who I grew up with, his parents, and, and, and I think she one day, his mother had went to Al-Anon. And kicked him out, and he had to experience the, the homelessness, the bouncing from rehabs, and all that stuff. So I can never ever judge anyone, because first of all, just in general, I understand the human condition. Like I, I from whether it's from growing up or maturing at a young age, I don't know what it was, man. But I don't, I, I just don't judge so quickly, man. But I also know. That, uh, well, everyone has it differently. Yeah, but like I know that I know the depths of the of the disease that I have, and I know where it could take me. I know exactly 
um, I've been completely humbled by it. So I there's no, oh, I mean, but at the time, you know, I didn't completely, I think what it was, I didn't succumb to the idea, all right, I'm going to become a full-blown heroin addict. Like I, I had too much of, like, I don't know whether it was pride or trying to keep that reputation or keep everything intact externally for everyone else's approval. You know, like it was just constant. Well, that might have been your judge of choice, the drug of choice. Yeah, yeah. The drug of choice was like being okay in people's eyes. More, yeah, oh, more than... th- that's a good point. Never been brought up to me that way. It's true. I believe that. It was definitely a drug. That The, the people pleasing and the codependent, like, you know, seeking the approval. And again, I excelled at whatever group I was in. And but... compartmentalizing. Yeah. Like so that you you're you know how bad you are. But your mom doesn't know. Oh, totally. Your job totally, doesn't totally. know. Yep. You you can mm-hmm. save your face until yeah, you can't. Until you can't. And that's the thing. So now my life was in shambles, but out externally I was doing my best to patch it all. Man- keep it. To uh, manage uh, it. Under dude. control. Exactly. exactly. So now, but but it, but I did progress to that. Of course I did. You know? So like I started it's to hard, sniff. It's hard not it's to. It's hard not to. So of course I started to sniff the heroin. And, Where uh, would you get the dope? Oh man, it started to become more. But again, now I'm with different a different crew. No, not really. I mean, my, I progressed with they my probably one all progressed too. Oh, totally, totally. Um, the big jump was the first time my friend decided to shoot me up. Now I hate needles, dude. I did not ever see myself comfortable with it. I hated every moment of it. But of course, the 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 drive for the fix superseded that so i um i remember getting shot up for the first time and um and then yeah that was now the thing right so but i do remember around a specific time frame it probably might have been a little longer but it felt like six months where i was hardcore you know still come home you know but i was waiting there i just remember the pain was so much greater now waiting there for the dealer who would now make you wait hours and you'd be where would you cold. go i mean just long island dude waiting around in parking Applebee's lots and stuff? parking lot yeah wherever i was like just waiting for the fix waiting for the dealer and they just ran your life so to me that was not as efficient was it ever jay no that would be no, the best no. if jay, jay was probably was the, was like, the guy <laughs> jay was probably just getting into his right, stuff you right. know but so you know, yeah, this is about 10 years ago now, right? So I remember how unmanageable it felt, man. It was just, it ran my life. I wasn't, it was inefficient. Like waiting and especially to like, you go, you're waiting for your few bags, right? You're waiting there, you're doing it. It's just, it just felt so risky. It felt so dangerous. It felt so dirty. And now I'm waiting and and then in a few hours, three, four over. hours, you it was sick. over. I was sick, sick. Yeah. miserable, yeah, dude. Bad. So, like, what did I remember? I knew Suboxone was a sanctuary, man. Like, it was not the same rush, but it was something I could hide between two credit cards, <laughs> a little film, and I could go to work, could put it under my tongue, and I could perform, you know? So I, I, it was like about six months. It was but the easier, softer way, yeah, big time. Yeah, yeah, it was, man. And uh, I mean, but the dope definitely took me down to a dirty place, man. There was one time, one of the nastiest things that I did, uh, I beat myself up about, was I was with my family. And, um, you know, I'm a little even apprehensive, just, you know, to share. But you know what? I'm not because I, I've healed from it. But uh, thinking of who to hear. But 
whatever. I was with my family. We were on Coney Island, dude. And uh, I had my pen and I needed water, right, to shoot. And um, I don't know why I didn't just go to the sink, but it was an active bathroom. You know, there was a bunch of people around. So I didn't fill up or I wasn't, I was fearful. So I could have just, you know, pulled it, but I just, I could have filled up the, 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 the quick way, but I don't, I just ended up taking from uh, a, a toilet, dude. And it was fucking disgusting. Well, supposedly toilets are very clean. Yeah. That's the, that's the, the, junkie, I mean, the greatest junkie man. The, the toilet water is going to be cleaner than your sink like, water nine out of ten times <laughs> if you ask a junkie. So so I just remember thinking like, oh, man, what did I just shoot myself up with? It could have been right. this or that. And it's just like that was one of the lowest right. feelings right. of just. But you know what? And someone. And again, if someone can judge judges me for that. um Fuck that's them. Fuck it's that. like, like dude, I don't, I, be, the reason why I have such a deeper connection and, and with my, with my higher power, I choose to call God and, and, and everything is because I've experienced this pain. I've experienced the, the depths that, um, that me going against what I know is right or sp- right. Like the spiritual side of things where no matter what, knowing, you know, waiting at a red light debating whether I'm going to go see my dealer or not. And, you know, like if the light turns green, I'll go. And then just like, oh, it didn't work. I'll do it again at the next stoplight, you know? And it just, it, that, that constant praying for a broken stoplight. basically. (laughs) God, give me a signal. Don't turn green. Yeah. So that, that sucked, you know, that happened. And, you know, I just, I just shared it. So I just, but again, that's, did you have to go to treatment or did you just get no, out of it with Suboxone yourself? That's incredible. You didn't I, go to treatment? I knew. I just knew, man. If I went to Arizona or California to some rehab, the second that I landed back on JFK or MacArthur Airport, like, dude, I'm, You're in. I'm in. Like, I knew that if I couldn't get it here, I couldn't get it anywhere. Like, it's not a people, places, and things. I don't know whether, whether, what, what it is or not. But all I know is I bring me, I pack me with me. You know, you stick me in a desert, I'm gonna find, <laughs> sure, gonna find something. You know, so yeah, I mean, and so so that progressed, and then and then of course I went back. Okay, so now I went to Suboxone, man, because that was just too crazy, and I was taking Suboxone, and then uh, I think another thing I, I did. Another tactic to try and get sober was kind of like what my my dad did. Uh, so I had gotten engaged in my 20s, um, moved to a different neighborhood here on Long Island, and uh, cut off all my friends. I went and just was hanging with her friends, and, and I had a different network now. And I was sober. I don't think I was on the Suboxone for a little while. It was like a year. I was dry, but I still thought I could drink and or whatever. Um, and then I eventually found one of her like ex-boyfriends or something and I knew he was plugged in and I was actually at a funeral or like grandmother's funeral and I remember instead of going in the limo with the family I went in the car with this dude and what do we do we went and got some blues and and I was off to the races and then I just immediately because I had like a year and I was doing well at work and I thought I was quote-unquote sober went right back to my Suboxone man because Suboxone was the the safe baseline you know so, um, somewhere before that too, and then again afterwards, when my life really started to go down, was um, uh, 
I don't know how I ended up uh, I ended up smoking crack, dude. Someone just gave it to me. I tried it or whatever. I don't know how that how, dude. That's another thing. You don't just wake up and decide I'm gonna smoke, shoot yeah. dope or smoke, smoke crack, crack today. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, today's the day. Finally, finally you get there. Like I don't know, but that was just a different drug altogether. Like it was something that um, it was it was that first hit. It gave you... Where were you? I don't even remember, dude. In my 20s somewhere, I, I smoked it. I remember getting like addicted to it for a little while. And that's how your father had burned off his finger oh, fingerprints. Totally. Yeah. I learned that later on. Yeah. So I, I immediately like knew where that was from. And I can remember even after the Bahamas or something when I went after high school, like in my later teens and coming home and I had did cocaine for the first time. And it was amazing in the Bahamas. And, and I was talking like a chatterbox. And I just loved the feeling. Came home. What did I do? I Coke. F- just got addicted to Coke for like a few months, you know. And I hated. Here's another thing I hated myself for. I hated not eating. I hated being underweight because, you know, I judged myself from, especially from the opiates and this and that, you know. So whatever. So So the cocaine was there. But again, my first love has always been. Pills. Pills. Opiates. Yeah. So, but the, the, the that time happened at like 1920 with the cocaine. And then I don't know where in my 20s, but I had smoked crack, dude. And I did it for a few months. Same thing. And then now after the engagement blew up, all that kind of ended. And, and uh, you went back to your uh, first love. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I was now at work. And then I kind of um, I ended up losing a good job. I was there for like five years falling asleep at my desk, you know, just because I was either withdrawing or high. Point of the story is that I, I progressed. Now I'm like 30 and I started smoking crack again, dude. And now I had my Suboxone in my system. It was always, I needed that as the baseline. And then I went and I, uh, and I smoked crack and dude, that's another level of dirty. Like I, I felt like the dealers, everything, the life, the 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 chase, it was just like grimy. Like I, the, the, they treated you like shit, man. You know, like they knew you were coming, <laughs> no matter what. There was nowhere else you were. Gonna there go. was nowhere else you were going. They had you, and it was such a different addiction from fighting this this this, this battle with opiates for 10, 15 years. Like it's just, it felt like if you put it down, you could just stop. You know, like it didn't have you the next morning like opiates did where you were going to withdraw. You had to get your fix to feel better. Um, It was just like a craving for that first hit. So um, eventually I was able to. I just kind of like stopped. It was it was weird. But um, that shit brought me to some different places, too, man. I remember being in like central Islip. I had my mom's car. It was like 6 a.m. and left the car running and some. Some girl, like, just, I think she was, like, with me and this guy earlier in the night, and she stole the car, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Just stole the car while I was in the damn gas station. And now I stole a bike. I'm riding it down the the, the street, like, looking, and and the cops end up picking me up, and we find the car. Dude, it was... Did you find the girl? We found the girl. She was, like, rummaging through, like, the, the, the glove box, and... They kept me in the backseat. They knew that I was up to some shit. I mean, you right. probably saw me, you know. Um, what did they, did they give you the car? How did it end? Yeah, it just, uh, it ended with, she ended up getting arrested, but like they, 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 they I don't know. They knew, they were on to me a bit too, you know, um, in a way. But uh, 
you know, just being in that neighborhood. Um, it was another story quick that uh, I was just, it was late night and I'm, I'm in a car and I had, uh, I was, I was just looking to get it just to go get more. And I went and this lady's like, Oh, I got to go to Brentwood. <laughs> Ironically, she goes, I got to get more, you know, I don't have any. So she gets in the car, she gets this other big dude, come sit in the passenger seat. And then her cousin, I think it was like a prostitute or something. It's all in the car, three of them. And uh, we're driving down the road and it's like 2 a.m. on like a Monday or Tuesday. And next to us is a is like a Ford Explorer blacked out DT. And I just see them looking and they're like arguing in my car. And I don't know. Long story short, we get pulled over. And what was my first reaction? <laughs> I got I think there was like a little paraphernalia in the glove and the girl in the back is like stuffing it in her <laughs> and like all of a sudden um i'm outside with the cops and and i said uh officer i was at the gas station and uh i got kidnapped <laughs> is that what you said? I basically said that they uh that they, they commandeered they, my vehicle they took and, my vehicle yes. yeah and like uh, <clears throat> when they heard that that's what i told the police officers man they snapped on me dude and um he let them all go they all left and I got hit with, uh, there was a little piece of crack and, uh, and a pipe. And, um, so I got hit, I ended up, you know, getting a lawyer and, and, and clearing it, but I was on ACOD for six months and now COVID's happening. I think, or no, 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 this was pre COVID. Um, there was a time where right after that, again, I got, I went, I was just buying, um, I was buying, uh, the stem and putting it together right before I got to the dealer and I got, I got lit up and I got pulled over. And the first thing, I mean, they searched my car through, you know, upside down and, and they didn't find anything, but I was on ACOD. So I was very at risk of, what is the ACOD? It's like a, uh, um, what the hell, probationary. Type right, right, right. Like you're released. On, you yeah, can't get yeah. in trouble. And, right. So whatever. But, but it was like, I was so, I was so blessed dude, because later on, COVID happened and then the courts, it's like it kind of got dropped or because it didn't blow up in my face that I was on ACOD and gotten uh, arrested, you know? Um, I love, though, that you uh, that your excuse was that you got kidnapped yeah. by, by a, a gaggle of crackheads who yeah, exactly. forced you to smoke crack with forced them. Forced you to smoke crack, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they're but, like, get the fuck out of here. You're, you're, going, you're going away. <laughs> That's but, it. Yeah, man, just horrible shit. I can remember even putting up dealers in like, put this big this big black guy named chuck i put him in a hotel and uh he probably gave me a hundred dollars worth of crack and i swiped the room or you know he stayed up in the room and uh he stayed overnight ordered a bunch of room service got caught smoking in the room dude it was like twelve hundred dollars <laughs> right did you have to pay for it i had to pay for yeah, it yeah. you got a hundred dollars in crack yeah yeah it's so fucking you stupid. lost eleven hundred dollars on that deal yeah so how did you get out of this whole thing? How, how, what was the end? Dude, dude. You never I went to treatment. You never went to cry. real jail time. Just trying with all of my willpower on my own at home, laying in bed, withdrawing day one, day two, day three, failing so many times when the dealer would call that they had everything in one, you know, fell swoop and, um, and I'd fail and I'd pick up again. Um, so it was it was like July of 2020. Uh, it was the middle of COVID, 
I had like nine days was by far the most amount of time I put together by myself. And uh, what did I do, dude? I picked up Suboxone. It was like July 4th. And I uh, took a piece and I immediately started to regret it. Like qu- It was like quick. It was right after I put... Normally, the guilt and the shame came hours later or the next day. But it was within a half hour before I even felt the drug. Because you didn't want to be doing it. I was like, dude, let me just... The time that I told you where I was like five years taking Suboxone, I had this job. And uh, man, I can remember... Like first thing in the morning, like I knew you didn't, you, you wanted to wait to eat until after the Suboxone. Or no, no, rather before. You wanted to eat something, then you put the sub under your tongue, you know, rather than uh, messing it up afterwards. Point is, I, I I would stuff something in, you know, right when I woke up, even when I wasn't hungry, because I was probably withdrawing, and then i put the Suboxone in, and, uh, and I'd go to work. And then by lunchtime, I can remember just... Looking at it, knowing I wanted more, just how bad it ran my life, man. Just cry, like I started crying to myself in the car, like just not wanting to take it, but knowing I couldn't not take it, you know. And it just fucking ran me, man. And I just was like so miserable, and I wanted nothing more than to just be off of it. And I couldn't, man. I just couldn't stop. And then you got people like my, uh, you know, I have a younger brother who's who's not like me, and he's just like. They think it's willpower. At that time in his right. life, he Why would can't say, you just do it? Yeah, yeah. And Why at that are you time, so I mean, weak or whatever? Yeah, and it was like then my hurt ego would, would, would flare up. And that's how it was always – it always was for me, man. I was always angry and punch holes in walls and react poorly, you know. So what happened, man, was I – after the engagement blew up, I started dating. I was 30. I dated a 40-year-old. And it was a great experience. It was like six months, you know, went on a cruise. We did all these beautiful things. And uh, she didn't, I didn't tell her I was on Suboxone. Uh, I told her about my history, but she thought it was history. And uh, when she found out that I was taking the Suboxone, she cut me off immediately, man. Was and, she a Narcotics Anonymous member? No, no, no. That's funny. Uh, but she said to me, she goes, you have a disease? You need therapy and you need to go to meetings. Mm. And in my mind, I'm like, she knew, she knew, man. Yeah. And I was like, whoa. First of all, the disease. What are you, what are you talking about? I don't she didn't want to play with that shit. Not at all, man. I respect her for it. I mean, it was so blunt, like so, just cut off. This her is feelings. how it is. Yeah, man. I'm not doing and this. We were. She was like in love too. Like it, 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 it took a lot. Like we, I was very shocked, but also respected her boundaries. So. She she cut it off, and um, I think that's when I really I, I a year after that was when things really kind of fell off. But um, I finally went found a therapist, started going to therapy. Felt really good at first. I'm like, what am I gonna? How am I gonna catch this woman up to 30 years of my life? You know, I didn't realize that. Like, look, a conversation like this we just had. What's well, been an hour or so, and you know, you unpack a lot, and 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 I. I did that. It felt really good. It felt like sharing in a meeting, and I did, and we connected. After that, uh, I realized every week that I would go, it was I'm still using. So I was like, "That's the problem." So until I was able to put down um, the suboxone, the suboxone, or at that point, it was getting it was, was cracks, cracks still in there. Yeah, at the end, yeah. So I st- I finally stopped the hard drugs. Now I'm coming to meetings. I'm going. I started going. I really started connecting. You know, um, I went to my first meeting now. It was July 5th. 
It was after July 4th I told you I took that Suboxone. Right. And I went back in. I went to this meeting. It was open. It was in the middle of COVID. It was a few months into COVID, man. July 2020. It was a meeting that was open in person. Thank God I wasn't going to do Zoom. I feel like that's around the time we met. Yeah, because I was hitting a bunch of meetings, man. And I, I came and, well, no, not the beach yet. I wasn't there yet. It was probably... with within that year or yeah but it was covid that yeah we oh for sure but covid was that was the very beginning dude so like 2020 i stopped right so now i stopped all the hard stuff i stopped the suboxone and there was no real withdrawal or anything mm, well check this out so now i'm like in therapy right and she's amazing she's uh she's in all the fellowships and and, and she actually lost a son to this to this man and uh I actually knew him. I went to high school with him. He was a couple of years older. And uh, long story short, we just really connected. And, and we started, and I started seeing her. And then I started going to this meeting. When I went to this meeting, I got surrounded by some guys. This guy wrote his name on the schedule, underlined it. His name was Mike. And he told me to call him. He said my name in his share or something. And I just immediately connected with the guy. Now, the next day or two, I really, really, really wanted to go get a Suboxone, bro. And um, I was I was fiending. And I was just hurting and I was just... But I was honest. I had the honesty with me. And I immediately went to my mom and my brother and I was like, guys, I really want to go use. And they said to me, why don't you think of the consequences, you know, and this and that. And I'm like, it, it felt good to have been honest with them, but it didn't... It didn't do the trick. It didn't do the trick, dude. So I called the guy, Mike. First time I ever picked up the phone before picking up. So many people would say, call me before you yeah, pick up. Yeah, yeah. So I did. And he made me feel normal, man. Of course I missed my solution. I'm not like, that's what we do, <laughs> you know? So after that phone call, the obsession lifted and I didn't want to pick up. But I kept coming and I kept going to meetings, man. I started going. And um, I mean, I then remember I was always this like street pharmacist. So I always had like this, you know, I had the, the Seroquel to go to sleep. I had the Clonidine, which is like a blood pressure med to, to, to help with withdrawals and restless legs and whatever, gabapentin, all this stupid shit. How did I'd you still have it. all of it? I don't know, man. I would, I, again, I always was this planner. Remember how many times I told you I wanted to stop on Thursday and then, like I knew a nurse and I got the Clonidine. Right, I had right, all this stuff that right. I got like a withdrawal kit, right. you know? And then what did I do? I was on a blog and I looked up Kratom or I found Kratom, right? Now, this is before it really exploded. And as whatever. a tool. As, as a, a tool. tool, dude. Like it was legit best intentions in mind, like to just get sober or to like, like, dude, I've never been addicted to anything you can't buy at the store. You could buy at the store, you know? So like I literally would, I bought it at a smoke shop. And I took three, four, five capsules at a clip, and it was like to help my mood. You Ooh. would drink it? No, I was these capsules. It's funny because they have like a, they have like a, um, they have like a brochure with the different types or the, the strands, strands right, and right, then right. it was like, oh, there was one that was euphoric or like opiate like. So of course, I was like, I'll the, take, I'll, I'll take, take that one. Give me three of these, <laughs> one of the crack ones. <laughs> so yeah, man. So I immediately. Wait, do you have a Kratom that makes me feel like I'm smoking crack all night? Okay, I'll take that <laughs> no, one too. No. Dude, I didn't even like crack. Man. I'm just it, playing. No, I know. I just, I'm thinking back to it and it's like, oh, that shit was just horrible, dude. And uh, like, I hated myself afterwards, like smoking it and then you, and then you coughing up like, 
fucking brown shit. And, and, and I don't know. I just was like, what am I doing, dude? And I can remember after a while, now I'm, I'm buying the Kratom at the smoke shop or the gas station, right? And this one guy looks at me and he goes, because he, he would be the guy I'd buy the stem from. And I didn't buy a stem. And he's like, oh, good, man. That's good. That's good. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> like it's really working. It's working. So, yeah, man. So, either way. Well, to him, it really was. It like, was. Oh, this he kid's was, not smoking crack anymore. He genuinely meant him. it, man. And yeah. I was like, wow. That's, that's great. But then you realize really like how many people <laughs> see you, you know? Right. That, that you're like, oh, shit. He knew that he, I was smoking crack every day. And yeah. now he knows I'm taking Kratom every day. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so then I bought it. It was called Red Vein Bali. Mm. Right? So, whatever. So, now I'm at this gas station. Sounds like like beans. Yeah. Yeah. So, but but again, it was it was just these capsules. It was this, this big bottle I'd buy and take three, four, five, barely felt anything, dude. Didn't feel anything. It was like it was like a mental placebo effect, I think. So it didn't really make you feel like anything. No, no, right? Um, but but I needed something, dude. It was the in-between after the Suboxone. Yeah, I was so used to taking something. So um, now to get off that, right? So now I'm taking this Kratom, and my therapist says to me, she goes, it's going to become a problem at 30 days, and, and she was right. Because I started taking three, four, five. And you told her straight up. Yeah, I was honest, you know, man. And I and then I told, and then I was taking eight, nine, ten, and then fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, and then twenty, twenty-five of these capsules, dude, at a clip. It's a lot, what, right? It's yeah. a lot. Yeah. And then eventually, I, and then I would try the powder form and take a red solo cup and fill up like a quarter or half of it powder and just water. It was disgusting. Did you ever? Did it but ever when, make you feel good? By the time you got up, uh, and I don't want to tell anybody this to you know to seek it because that's funny i've talked to alcoholics and they're like let me try you know like but but i i'm so grateful that i have this in my story because i would never at that point i would have recommended to someone kicking subs or dope or whatever to take kratom but i would never tell someone now so i i i i I like feel like i went through this for a reason because now i did start feeling it man i did start feeling a euphoric kind of feeling Probably a little below this, not as strong as the boxing, but dude, I mean, it's something I'm buying legally at the store. That's the best, yeah. And I'm um, taking it, and I'm feeling. I remember at that time it was middle of COVID. You're really getting away with yeah, it. Yeah, I'm getting away with it. I, I at that time I felt sober enough. I'd play like video games, and it wasn't working, and um, it was okay not to work at that time. So, either way, I I was still going to meetings. And I went to go meet with that first sponsor, Mike. And I had around 90 days. I got asked to speak already. And um, that's the requirement, three months, right? So I get to have my first speaking commitment. And, yeah. and uh, I'm immediately like feeling that spiritual sickness or that my gut is upside down. I'm about to meet with him and read through the fourth step, starting to take an inventory. And then I'm, I'm sitting with him. I'm like, Mike... And I just blurted it out, man. I said, look, I just took like 20 capsules of this shit called Kratom. And this guy's 35 years sober from alcohol only, right? What's he going to know? And that was one of my main things was when I came in, when I told you July of 2020, and I came in to a church where there's an AA and an NA meeting. And I've stepped foot in an NA meeting in my 20s, came, shared. That's where I belong, dude. I'm an opiate yeah, me too. At it, right? <laughs> so when I went to this church, I think I subtly intended to go to NA, right? When I made the right instead of the left. And I'm so, I'm not bashing any other 
fellowship, but I'm so grateful that I came to AA. Um, I made the right. I went in. I got surrounded by a guy, but I immediately in the beginning, I'm like, was this guy sober from alcohol only going to know about, you know, dope and Tuboxin and all this shit, but it's, it's not what it's about. Um, in my, you know, ten, what did he say when you told him you took the twenty? He looked capsules. it up on Google, dude, and he goes, "Yeah, man, you're not sober." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it sucked, bro. I right. did not want to hear that. Right. I, to, I didn't want to give up the commitment. I didn't want to give up my time. Ninety yeah. days, yeah, man, yeah, yeah, yeah. light years. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I immediately was like, I think I still went up and I grabbed a four month chip and I said, <laughs> uh, "This has an asterisk with it or something because right, of the kratom, right?" Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, man. But again, uh, I'm using this herbal supplement that kind of <laughs> feels like opiates. It kind of feels like crack, but it's not alcohol. It's not, <laughs> it's not alcohol. So, yeah. But again, because I was honest, because it was messing me up, I wasn't sober, man. And I, I knew that. Right. So I kept coming to meetings, but I could not stop taking this Kratom, dude. I could not. It had me by the balls at that point. So another like eight months goes by. I'm still taking the Kratom, but I'm still coming to meetings. I don't even remember what that period was like, but it was it served a purpose. It's part of my recovery because that sure. first year. You did it, and now you're here. Of course it yeah, served a purpose. Yeah, it definitely did, man. So the July of the 21, next one, right. July 7th is actually my recovery date. So how did you get off the Kratom? I mean, every day. I wanted to be my sober date, dude. You know, if it was an even number, I'm like, no, I want this yeah. one. I was marking calendars, cutting, you know, you know, uh, crossing off days, Valentine's Day. I'll be my own Valentine's. Day. That's nice. a good story. Right. That's, nice, that's a nice story. <laughs> so what? Ha- but, so how did you stop taking the kratom? And did you get sick? Oh yeah, yeah, dude. I definitely got sick. So towards the end, I'm taking it, and then I started taking. To me, and you didn't go anywhere. You didn't go anywhere. No. Did you get on the subs at the end? Honestly, that so now in that year, in that eight month period, eight month period where I knew like I'm actually still on I, I wasn't sober. I had no sober date. It was very dangerous, dude. I think uh, I knew a nurse, the girl, the lady, that girl that gave me the uh, clonidine. She was on like methadone. I never really tried methadone, but I would. She'd give me like a little bit. Mm. She had COVID one time and she dropped it off to me. And I was like, I don't give a shit. <laughs> like, and I took the methadone. It was like a cough syrup type. Uh, whatever and um all right maybe did the suboxone once more i think I, you know or whatever i just I, and i drank dude i drank three times and i had horrible scenarios i feel like god was showing me like there was a time where i went to the bahamas again i wanted to withdraw i wanted to you know whatever i went away to the bahamas to you know in, the, in a warm climate expecting to withdraw didn't bring my suboxone had the kratom but i drank I'm sitting there drinking, and I met this one dude from this big guy, George, this big, probably Royd head. He goes, you want to go to the bathroom and do some blow? And I said, fuck yeah. And I went and I did that. And then, of course, the whole trip became about drugs, cocaine. Exactly. So, And what did I want to do? I remember specifically searching around the Bahamas, going to pharmacies, looking to try to get Suboxone, my drug of choice at the time, you know? And either way, long story short. But you short, couldn't get it. Yeah. No, no, you're not going to get opiates in the Bahamas. You know, it was, it was, it was. It's like, I wonder though, if you could go to a pharmacy in the Bahamas, mm. say I'm on vacation and I'm kicking heroin and I'm really sick. Oh, Can you yeah. give me Suboxone? Yeah. I didn't try that. I don't know. See that, 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 why shouldn't that work? True. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know the answer. And, and I know that there's people listening. I know there's a lot of people in Dopey Nation who are on long-term suboxone use totally. and long-term kratom use and they're trying to 
figure out like how do I get out of this or what yeah man and like the thing that I I used to always be obsessed with when we when we were first doing the show was like why is there not crazy low dosages of suboxone why like why did you get down why can people get down to point one and then start cutting the film or or breaking the pills like so they're getting like why isn't there point oh one point oh two point oh three because it's 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 all for money dude. right it keeps them on there like when i hear people that are prescribed two three strips a day or you know 16 24 30 plus milligrams of what right i don't care if you're coming off a bundle of heroin a day if you give me one suboxone and I'm withdrawing. You're gonna feel better, right? You know, even half of one. So my, my I, I, dude, I don't look. I don't. Again, I could never judge. I know the monkey on your back. It sucks. Like you, you, you. I just know that it brought me to a place where, like I said back that time, where I was in the car with it in my possession, the suboxone, and I was crying my fucking eyes out. Like, mind you, I was buying it on the street, so I probably wasted a lot more money than most people getting it uh, in scripts. But I knew, like, I was never. Any time that I was using, because I didn't succumb to the fact that I was an addict, like I didn't buy in bulk. If ever I did, I just did more. And then it was maybe I had a little left over yeah, for the next day. You run out like, way before you so, thought you would exactly. anyway. Exactly. Yeah, so, yeah, like, yeah. I never, like, I, I wish I would my, buy in bulk and just use it no, all and run out at the same exactly, time. As exactly. As I had. So, I just didn't want to, like, you know, I, I just, the next day, like, I just always would, um, it was always tomorrow was going to get sober. So in know? the end, you came off of the Kratom with a little methadone, a little Suboxone. No, I mean, dude, it was just... All right, so now I'm taking Kratom, right? And then that story... The reason why I brought up the Bahamas story is because I drank, and then what did I do? I ended up doing cocaine, right? The next time I drank... Um, <laughs> dude, like I, I was with... It was like a Memorial Day party or something. The girl I was with, she ended up drinking, hitting her head on a, on a sink, and we had to go to the hospital. Second horrible story, the second time I drank. Third time that I drank. Now, this was, again, well, I didn't have a sober date, but I drank alcohol. I'm in New Jersey. I'm at a hotel. And um, I just had a couple of beers, dude. And then, because I didn't have a sober date. I was on Kratom. I knew I wasn't sober. I was still coming to AA. Not sober. So I had a couple of beers. Got a nice little buzz going. Obviously, I got to go get some more now, right? So now I'm driving around recklessly, you know, buzzed. And uh, looking for a liquor store. Not open. First one's not open. 15 minutes later driving, I'm looking. Gas station. They don't sell alcohol. Another 15, 20 minutes driving, 7-Eleven. They don't sell alcohol in New Jersey. So I find another liquor store. I'm, I'm gone like an hour and a half now. And it's open. It's the middle of COVID. I have a mask on. I have a bottle of tequila, you know, Coronas and drinks, whatever. And, and uh, my card's not working, you know. So I'm on the phone with Chase, I'm calling them, trying to figure out why my car's not working. And then I'm telling the guy, like, dude, I'll come back tomorrow and I'll pay for you. He's like, get fucked. You know, like, obviously, get out of here. You know, he's not, he's not doing that. So what was my first thinking? I'm at the, I'm at the register. My car's facing the opposite direction on. And uh, I just grabbed the juice or whatever waters that I had. And I just grabbed the bottle and maybe the... 12 pack or something. And I just ran out and I jumped in my car and I sped off, went back to the room, drank, enjoyed the night. And then the next day was a Sunday. I'm like, the guilt was there, but I was like, you know what? I got to just accept what is right. So I just let it be. But then I returned to New York on Monday 
and it was eating me up, dude. So I'm like, what? I, I called the liquor store, and um, thank God because they were putting together the footage. They were giving it to the sheriff. I was gonna get in trouble, you know. And I sent them a hundred bucks. Talked to the manager. Squared away. That was the third time I drank. So, like, my point is that I got it beaten into me. Because, again, I... If you drink, you are fucked. Uh, exactly. I went, start was in AA, and I learned from those experiences that I can't drink. That if I drink, I'm going to just go find my drug of choice, you know? Or whatever exactly. horrible thing is going to happen. Lose my inhibitions completely. So, now I'm continuing, right? So, now at the end, I'm, I'm still on the Kratom, and there's these weed gummies they're coming out with. Uh, Delta 8. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The Delta 9 is what THC has. Delta 8 is like legal. It's almost like almost that. It's like, almost right? like that. And, and then I took them, and then I was like, I remember being like high, but without the paranoia, and I'm like, this, this is the is best. It. This is what I've always I, I, wanted. I'm not judging myself. Right. I feel good. I, and like, I literally thought, like, I found the, the solution. Right, like I was, I was, bro. I'm, if I, I know addicts know this. Like, I, if you, if, if you gave me a lie detector test, I would have passed it. I've told my parents. Like, at the end, my mom did say, and my stepdad, they said, "You got thirty days." If you know, my mom tried other ways too. Oh, if I stay sober for a month, I'll give you a thousand bucks. Never did that, right? Um, she gave me thirty days, or they were gonna kick me out. And I was like shocked that she, and they meant it, and uh, and I used the entire thirty days. That whole June and then July, I finally came in. Now, mind you, I had a new sponsor now because the first guy, Mike, I, I was still using. I felt bad. You couldn't work with somebody if you're using while working with exactly, them. Exactly, exactly. So, but I felt really bad about having to break up with him. And, and he helped me so much because, mind you, mind you, I when I was with him, I was getting off the harder street drugs. Like, dude, I had like a crack dealer's like laptop. And like he was on the phone with me. He was ready to come with me and he didn't. I just dropped off this collateral that I had from this dealer, but I cleaned up a bunch, you know, I mean, I was now, I wasn't completely surrendered, but I was, Wait, why it. did you have the crack dealers? Laptop? I don't even remember, okay. but I just had it as like, I probably gave him money. He gave me that instead. And be like, I'll be back with the crack. Yeah. You hold my laptop. <laughs> yeah. And then of course I still had the laptop. So of course he never came back. So, uh, but I just needed it all out of my Because he was worse possession. of a crack addict than you were. Yeah, bro, definitely, definitely, you know. And what did I do? I just knocked on his door. I think his mom answered. I gave him the laptop, and that was it. I just needed it out of my possession, you right. know. Um, so so whatever. Fast forward that whole year now. The Kratom, I'm, I'm stopping. And, um, again, that was hard, man, because it was the first time I was addicted to something I could buy at the store, you know, first time. So whenever I wanted it, I could just go get it, you know. So it progressed quick. No, I have a friend. She cannot stop using Dude, it. Dude, horrible, horrible, horrible. And uh, and it was a lot of money too, man. It got very expensive. I even have a thing in my app on my phone, like the, the app. I have like the kratom savings plan. Yeah, <laughs> this is how much money you have from not doing kratom. <laughs> totally, man. So yeah. So other than that, I I took the weed gummies, and then I remember with the new sponsor, he said one thing to me. He goes, Andre, you're not convinced, and I fucking knew he was right i knew i wasn't i i didn't want to hear that though dude i'm taking delta eight weed gummies i used to I feel better than i've ever felt in like, my life <laughs> like i'm fine i'm fine this is the thing i get it you know and i i don't know what it was because there was literally a time just to show you man like i at the end of a meeting i remember i wanted it i was genuinely honest i had the the weed gummies and i had the kratom in my car and i told him and i after a meeting i told him the honest truth i gave it to him he threw it in the garbage can 
outside the meeting. The next day, I really wanted to just use it again, but I didn't want to go buy in bulk another bag because I knew if I bought a full portion, you're, I was going to use the, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. So what did I do? You went to the garbage I can? Went back to the garbage That's can. That's great. Dude. Was it there? It was there. Fantastic. <laughs> These are the stories that I live on. Uh, and I went back to the garbage can and I got it and I used it and fucking felt like shit. But, but whatever. Like it was just a cycle. It just to show you the powerlessness, you know? And you basically were like, I'm going to find the worst drug. Like, I'm, I'm done with oxys. I'm done with heroin. Dude, I'm done with crack. Ironically I'm managing. done with Suboxone. I'm done with Kratom. I'm on Delta 8 and weed we- gummies <laughs> as, the, as the salvation. As the solution. And, and so what did you do to be like, fuck it? I don't know, man. It was my therapist would say to me, you need to surrender. And I thought surrender meant you going lose. to an institution Wearing a hospital gown, right. throwing out my cell phone, For quitting lots my of people, job. It does. I don't know what that means, dude. I have to wait, wait, wait. No, wait. If I'm going to withdraw, I need to take this so that I don't feel like I was such a control. I was person. such a control person, but also such a bitch with pain. Right. Like anytime I'm Just about a, to a feel pussy. some pain, I mean, it's I, scary. It, totally, it's bro. scary. Like, I need. But that's something. what a, that's yeah. what an opiate act is. Yeah. Like we're all like that. Like it's it's like how can I avoid discomfort i took this because i don't want to feel discomfort in the first place and now i know if i don't have it it's going to be 10 million times worse the discomfort that i took it for in the first place so what can i do to cover that up stuck in this yeah of course it's just cycle you know so i finally 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 completely surrendered now mind you i took i had stopped taking the kratom and then like a week or two i was just on the weed gummies he told me i'm not convinced i stopped the weed gummies i finally just put them down and i had two weeks no kratom right but that was my recovery date now, July 7th, 21. And that first month dragged, man, because I felt like I had stopped the Kratom two weeks ago and it was like a month and a half first month, you know. But I had this major network that I built up by by going to meetings this entire time. So I've heard someone share about that, like that first year that even though I wasn't sober, it served a purpose in my recovery. I came into meetings. I knew people immediately. I mean, yeah, I had to come in with my head down. I was beating myself. Oh, I got one day, 10 days. It sucked. But it also made me grateful for the time and, and appreciate and the process. And it, and I and I grew so much, man, because all it was about that time was just not picking up. But what did I do? This new sponsor at this time, I just met with him. I forgot what it was. It was probably like a month, two, three, month or two. He goes, you're rendering me useless, big man. And that's what he would call me, man. He would call me big, big man, right? He would call, I later found out he called everyone big man, which <laughs> it still worked well. Ego, it, it still worked well for it you. It worked well, man. That little boy in me with the low self-esteem, not feeling enough, you know, that it made me feel good. See, if anyone called me big man, I would assume they were calling me fat. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't, yeah. and I wouldn't like that. Yeah. But isn't that funny how fucking fucked up we all are totally. that there's one thing that someone can call you that does, it's just fucking it's crazy. It's so weird. Yeah. It's so funny. So I, then he's like, you got to fucking do steps. He's like, yeah, you're rendering me useless, big man. So what did we do? We started, we just met up, man. And uh, we would hang out and we would just start reading. And then, you know, and I immediately, when I first came to AA, man, even so, like I never came to like pick it apart. And some people just either didn't suffer enough or maybe they just drank a little too much or whatever. Maybe they're full-blown alcoholic. They came in in their 40s. I don't know. My point is. You needed it. I needed it. I knew immediately this was a place that people take their masks off. 
they connect, they get deep, they get real, and they suffered, and they're like me, even if their story is completely different. I, I just relate. And uh, the traditions, even a traditions meeting or something, like I immediately was like, well, you got into this the- is the glue that keeps it together. Like I respected it. I wasn't like, oh, shit, this sucks. Like every meeting I've always taken something. But you like the intellectuality of it. Love it, dude. Love it. I felt like I was b- made for this. Ideas. You know yes, what I mean? And then getting high and connect. getting into it and then feeling better and yeah. seeing other people get better. Totally. And the goal was peace, you know? And I had therapy working, working alongside the meetings. So now I'm finally going sober. And dude, it has been a journey, man. A, a beautiful journey. Like I kept reading, started doing the work. I had a, 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 a good skeleton of a fourth step that I had typed out the year before, added to it. Got to pen to paper, man. Started writing and was diligent, man. I got it out, shared it. A lot of the stuff that I'm basically sharing with you today, you know, like, because again, it held powers. Like my mom said this to me once, like when you have an open wound, it hurts when someone throws salt at it. But then if you heal that, you know, it doesn't feel like, it anything. Doesn't feel like anything, you know. So I I shared it with another man. I connected with him and I went through my steps. And by the time I was at five months, I had I have not had the obsession to pick up a mind altering substance since that, since yeah, like and, and and I started to feel so good and people would be like you're on a pain cloud, da da da. I wish you a slow recovery and I was grinding, man. I was moving. Not, that's not even the fastest I've heard. Like you know whatever. I was on like by eight months, nine months, ten months. I was on those steps pretty much. You know that's not that fast. The books, no, it's a decent clip though. It is a clip, but like people, you know, it says and next we launch. Like there's no. Like until you get the, the the relief from the steps that you got from your drink or your drug, you're in a danger zone, man. You know it's dangerous. Well, that's the that's why it, it it's the way to seal the wound. Totally. You know, and if you don't do it, the wound remains yeah. open. But my mom would say to me, like way before I had any sense of a solution or peace, you know, I was in the chaos, and she would say, "Go for a walk. Go to the beach. You know, say a prayer. Move a move a muscle. Change a thought. Like what?" Is that gonna do for me? I need the Delta Eight. No, I'm just. <laughs> I need the. I need a substance. I need something. You know, instant gratification. I need. I. I find. I. I used to share about it all the time. Was that like when I worked the steps and I found my character defects lessened? If I didn't stay ridiculously engaged, they came back in my sobriety. You know, oh like, God, yeah. and, 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 and it, and it requires like, it requires just fucking constant work. You might not have the open wound, but like, if you're not oh, in man. it, it's like, it's fucking creeping on you. You it know, is, but you know what? I think it's everybody, man. It's of not course. just us. Like people like this guy, Gabor mate, man. He's really, he's good. been on dopey. What? Gabor Monte. Are you oh kidding me? He suggested I do Adderall to write my book. <laughs> I swear to fucking God. That is crazy he had just said this one thing. i don't think you realize what a big that, deal our show that, is that's a huge please huge get bored man. Boy, yeah. Come on, give me a break so yeah he had said something whatever any addiction is just a you know avoiding the con knowing of the consequences and doing it anyway and like but what do you think about his whole claim that he's addicted to classical music cds all that oh I don't, I don't know man i don't know i don't need to get into the weeds all i'm saying is to, to all i'm, I'm, I'm trying thinking to say about is, starting a beef with get monte i'm just <laughs> 
so we're clear about it. I, this, that's amazing. Wow, I did not know he was on Gab the show. Ormonte refused to come on Dopey in 2024. He claims he's too busy. What's he so busy with? Classical music CDs? <laughs> Give me a break. He's fucking freebasing Adderall, stealing fucking Tchaikovsky. I don't know what he's doing. So no, we love, we love Gab Ormonte. Awesome. We love Gab Ormonte. I love that. So, yeah, he said some powerful things oh, that yeah. I really connected with, man. But, uh, you know, I just, I'm saying that everybody has this to one degree or another. And, and it's a progression, right? So, like, I don't know. My, my thing is that, like, the first year for me was about not picking up. And I did that. I hit a bunch of meetings. I kept coming. And then the second year, it's like, yeah, these defects, man. I mean, I quit smoking cigarettes probably, like, nine months ago. Yeah, I remember when you You know, yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. Dude, like I remember my sponsor would say to me, like, let's let's wait till you get to a year, yeah, you know, yeah. like and he was right, you know, um, but but you clean up as you go. Did you have the fear of going into nicotine withdrawal? I had such crazy, weird mm, withdrawal yeah. fear around quitting yeah. cigarettes. I mean, that was crazy in itself. It's like it literally is like I hate to sound like, oh, you know, but this proof to me, I've gotten visual proof of of a higher power working in my life, dude, even from these stories that I've survived in my life getting through relatively unscathed. You know, I mean, there's a lot of ones I left out. You know, I've totaled like five vehicles without a scratch, man. I don't know. Sometimes, but I need to write them down because I, I I forget so exactly. quick, dude. Exactly. Like I run the show, I come back, and then all of a sudden, like even right now, I have a I've I've chosen a new sponsor and you know, I, I realize I think I have like an intimacy issue, letting people all the way in. This is a form of therapy right now, what I'm doing by sharing all of this. Because it, 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 it gets it out. It connects me with you, Dave, with, with the show and everything. I mean, just myself. Because, you know, I was so used to my first two years calling my sponsor every day. And then I just decided to switch gears in, in my recovery and, and find another guy. And, you know, I'm going like a week, two weeks without speaking to him now. And it's like it doesn't feel like I know I'm at a different point. I don't maybe not need the every day. But it's a good practice. It's a good practice to make the call to keep relationships yeah. like moving, like keep relationships connected and, yeah. and, and to be accountable. I think yeah. it's good. How did, how is it with your, with your dad? All right, let's touch on, on, on the amends part, right? So now, um, I'm up to step nine. Mind you, when I got up to step four and I wrote down the pharmacy, I was early in my recovery and I'm like, oh shit. You have to give them a bunch I'm of gonna money. have to go make amends to this right. pharmacy, and it was way before I was even ready to do so. So either way, so it was it was it was the pharmacy and it was my dad that were like the World Series of my recovery, you know. But this is another little like God wink, like dude. It was this. It was around December, and uh, I don't know how many months I had nine or something like that. It was like a, to the day almost, like I don't know. 15 years later now i hadn't stepped foot in this pharmacy if i need a, a birthday card i go to cvs i go you, you know go, you make sure not to not go to, to, that, go to pharmacy. that pharmacy i had not stepped foot in there in 15 years so i built up the courage man i don't know what it was but it was time and i still needed i still needed like a pep talk you know like i'm already i'm ready to go in i was ready i was debating whether i should call the night before or, you know make an appointment make it bigger than it is I think my mom was like, no, just walk in, you know? So everything, you know, we just, as we go, we pick up things and then, and then we become ready. And I, I was praying for the willingness, whatever it was at that time. But five minutes before walking in, I wanted to call my therapist. Uh, she didn't answer. 
I went to call my sponsor. He didn't answer. And then I decided to call my, my friend, the guy who I gave the pills to who would sell them on the street. Who's sober now. Who's sober now. few years more than me. I called him. He didn't answer, right? So I just got out of my car and I walked dead straight into this pharmacy. And, the, and no joke, this man was walking out of the pharmacy at that exact moment, ready to leave his shift or whatever. And I walk right in and I see him and we just started talking. He recognized me immediately. I don't know. I think his father had passed away. We started just, you know, I just told him just briefly about life and, and, and I'm in recovery now. And, and at that point I had six months, right? And I just, again, didn't feel enough. So he goes, how long you been going to meetings or, you know, and I said a year and a half, <laughs> You lied. I lied. Yeah. I lied. You know, uh, but it was true. I was going to the meetings well, for a year then, and a half, but I wasn't then sober then lie. for, for six months. But still, I knew it was. It felt like a lie. It right. felt like a white lie, right? Sure. So, I said it to him, and uh, but 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 besides that, that was the only little hiccup because we moved to the back. The one woman that was there when I was there was still there, and they brought me in the back, and 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 we were talking about just so many things, and we really connected, and 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 it was all almost exactly the same. I think I made a joke. I think they moved the condoms. That was like, it. Right, <laughs> and right, I right. made a joke about that, or we 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 just, I don't know, man. We uh, it just felt so good, man. I can't explain it. And then they even made a joke. They said something like, after I had left, they had gotten a safe. To put all like the class two narcotics, the Andre, the Andre yeah, safe. And they legit said they called it Andre proof. Right. Well, <laughs> you, there know? You, go. you know, and uh, it was just so lighthearted. And and the one woman was like, "You could have come back a week after." We, you know, we loved you and all this stuff. And it was it was beautiful. It was a beautiful experience. And um, now, do you buy your birthday cards there? I still hesitate. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but but it was just so relieving. You know, like I just felt such a weight off. Yeah, and I was prepared. If even if he had said you owe this much or whatever, you know, I kind of knew he wouldn't, but and he didn't, and it didn't matter. He was probably so happy that yeah. you were better and that you showed up exactly because because exactly. you meant you meant something to him and he meant something totally, to you. Man, totally, you know. But you got to be prepared if you're going to do something like that. If they tell you get the hell out away from me, get out of yeah. here, like you know. It, you did your part. You did. You did your yeah. part exactly. And I mean, and, and with your dad, with dad, I mean, it worked out too. Another thing, like where. Now, mind you, I mean, there were like some other tumultuous moments in my 20s where I'm using and I'm fucking flaring up and getting angry at him and, 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 and I'm using. I mean, I know I'm at fault, but, you know, we would be super confrontational and, and, and there was a time where he had even like pulled a shotgun on me and shit. Like it was, it was, you know, traumatic. And, and again, there was a time where I felt like he had just betrayed me. Or, you know, and, and, and like there was a point right there where we weren't talking for three years. I didn't see him and, uh, and he lives 15 minutes away, you know, but we, we just, it blew up to the point of that time where I just mentioned where he said he, he pulled the shotgun on me and we were fighting and what did I do, man? I'm, again, I, I planned to take it to my grave, but I said it right in front of my stepmom. I fucking flared up. I was like, I think I screamed blowjobs or some shit. You know, threw it up in his face because, like, I I was so You're like when I was eleven, you took me. <laughs> no, I didn't go. How into could details. you do this? Dad? I didn't go you into and details. me used to get blowjobs when yeah, I was eleven. I mean, You're gonna dude, pull a gun on me? Yeah, I mean, bro, honestly, it had progressed later in life, man. I mean, there was a time where even later, I think I was on Suboxone. I didn't feel like 
seeing a prostitute. First of all, I'm numbed out. It's going to take a fucking hour. So I'm driving him, but he wanted his fix. Now, my stepmom, his wife's at home, you know, and we're fucking <laughs> like he just got done in like a car dealership, but he had like his little bit of alone time. So, of course, he's going to go act out. This is where I meant like I would always try to parent him. Like if he was fighting with my stepmom and he was out, I knew he was going to go do some sketchy shit. You know, go into the underworld. And I was like, oh, you know, let me go. Even after a long day work, I would I would go try and, to protect, and try him, to protect him, dude. And it's like, what the fuck? Even though you were definitely a dweller of totally the underworld. Totally a dweller, Just dude. not the same kind of thing. Exactly. But yeah, like, so, you know, there was a time where I picked him up and he, you know, we picked up a prostitute. I'm fucking chauffeuring my dad getting a blowjob in the back seat. I'm in my 20s now, dude, you know? So, Yeah. And I just didn't want any part of it. But it's like you don't realize how impactful that is, even how numbed out I was, you know, at the time. Again, I was on subs. So, you know, you don't you don't think about what what this shit does, you know, and the hypocrisy for me, dude, was always the fucking hypocrisy. The like the fact that you were a full blown junkie. When I said that word to him one time earlier in life, that he I, didn't I, like that. I, he fucking flipped out. Uh, but I. I thought by coming to him, let me tell you something. Like I, I would, I would come to him thinking that I could, that he would empathize with me because and he probably was the ultimate compartmentalizer. He, he, exactly. Because he exactly. did not believe he did. He didn't take in. He didn't take like in what he was doing, doing. which is exactly it, what you learned. It's true, and he's a complete narcissist. And I know that I would have been just like him if I continued. You know, so yeah, he he definitely compartmentalized, and he, I, I just. Anytime I ever came to him, man, and I thought that by telling he flared up, he attacked me. His worry as a parent, I don't know what it was. He attacked me. It was never like a place of, you know, he just built the wall around me and exiled me from the kingdom. And know? how is it now with him? So, well, just so the the other thing I wanted to share was that um, there was a time too where you know he was never really into opiates, but he had back problems, all this shit. So we had a bunch of pills, and. I was at his house, I'd sleep over, and then I just uh, would start taking a couple here and there. And then there was a time where I got to his house before he walked in, before he was in. Now, mind you, because he's just like me, he picks up on everything. I right. can't get anything past my right, dad right, like right, I could right. with like my mom, you know? So, long story short, the bag from CVS is on the counter, and I grab it, and I run in the bathroom. There's a bunch of pills, you know? Hydrocodone, oxycodone, everything. So, I'm grabbing... And he storms in, dude. He, like, just knew I was up to something. Comes in, caught me red-handed. Boom. You know? And there was another time, years before that, I brought my friend who was an active addict. And he was walking around my dad's house. And I didn't think he would do anything of the sort. But he's walking around my little sister. He takes my dad's Marine ring. My dad was a Marine, too. adds to the character arc. But uh, my friend stole his Marine ring. And my dad always held that against me, thinking that I was a part of it or in on it, going to the pawn shop or some shit. I fucking would never have done that, you know? So, but I did get caught red-handed stealing these fucking pills, you know? I mean, I was a full-blown addict. I wanted, I needed my fix, you know? So I, I got caught. And, um, but it was, wasn't until, you know, years later, the reason what happened right before the three-year exile was, you know, in my, in my, in my later years of, of, of using, you know, I never, you know, I'm, again, I was desensitized to the use of prostitutes. So I, I would see here and there, you know, I w- didn't have the 
where, not wherewithal. I just would to, to go and, 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 and just to get the quick fix in that sense, right? So well, I'm sure you had a serious sex addiction. That's the thing. And it's funny because my therapist later on, you know, she always says, uh, well, she thought I was holding something from her. I pour everything out. But she goes, and then until we started to look at the sex stuff, and I can only look at the sex stuff once I started to clear everything else up. And I'm like, holy shit. She said to me recently, man, she says it's the, it was the first addiction to come and it's going to be the last to go. And I was like, fuck, you know, she, but she sees all the work that I do. She goes to me, she went to NA too. So she was like, you have an NA recovery in AA <laughs> because I dive deep and I, I go to CODA, Codependence Anonymous, adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families and all this other shit. But just quick, one time saw a prostitute, I was in active addiction and I, uh, was in a hotel and I was just not happy afterwards and I forgot what happened. I, she was, it, it just, it just didn't end well. And I, I just immediately grabbed, I think I grabbed her purse on the way out and I ran down the, the, the hotel hallway and I didn't want to take all of her stuff, but I, I wanted the money. Wait, back. It didn't work out meaning you couldn't come. Yeah. And I just fucking, I don't know. I was just like, fuck you. Or at that point I had I, done that. So I went and I grabbed the purse and as I'm running down the hallway, she's chasing after me. I just grabbed the cash and I dropped the bags. So she has her ID and all this shit. And I run out and I head home, right, with probably like 600 bucks. And I get back to my house and she's blowing up my phone. Somehow she calls my house phone. And now there's like a pimp involved. It's fucking scary, dude. And my mom overhears the, the voicemail or something. And again, my mom, like, she probably helped me bury a body, you know, but... Not really, but she just she would. If I killed someone, she would Good still Cuban love mother. Me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, but so no matter what, the point of the story is that I mean that was embarrassing that she heard that, but I'm scared shitless, dude. I'm living at home, and now I have this, this, this prostitute and potentially a pimp looking for me or whatever. So I go to the movies the next day or two with my dad and the family. And I fucking just had no, I didn't have a sponsor. I didn't have a fucking fellowship to go to. So I needed to get this off my chest. So I went to my dad and I told him flat out what I did, thinking that he'd fucking empathize or something, right? Immediately fucking turned on me, dude. Threw me under the bus, exiled me. I remember him saying it, like yelling at me or saying something to me, you know, was right in front of my little baby sister and my stepmom and just you know it, it hurt it sucked you know what did he say uh, it, like like it was He's supposed like, to be under wraps me and him were having a cigarette outside of the theater and then all of a sudden now everybody's getting in the car and he's still yelling at me about but it what did he yell at you about <laughs> it do you remember his take oh, like calling me dangerous or i you know just fucking I, but the fact that what i did was was being was being brought up like it was clearly about to be spoken about my stepmom was going to know like it was just out in the open and uh, it sucked. And then from that point forward, three years, we didn't see each other, you know. So, yeah. And, I mean, it was still, that was a time where I got worse before I got better. But then I, you know, therapy meetings, all that so stuff. So how do you deal with them now? So, 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 so it was around my first year anniversary. I had already made amends. I went through all my steps. The only amends to make still left was my dad, which was, again, the World Series of my recovery, man. So I had... Uh, you know, I was thinking of all these different ways. It was just dangerous for me, man. It was so dangerous because he's just the little boy in me wants, you know, he's just such a narcissist. It's always like first thing I talk to him, even even though I've been doing well at this point, 
It's like, oh, you know, fentanyl, be careful. What? Like, he was just always a suit, a condescending. It was always never enough. I was always fucking the fuck up. Yeah, I don't know. So, so, so it was weird. It was like the day before my anniversary, and um, I don't know. I, I had finally had the time with him. I, I sat down. It was, it was in the front yard or something, and I finally was able to make. The, you know, I start. I kept it. Super broad, man. I kept it on my side of the street. And then the times where I touched on his side, I think I mentioned like when I graduated Albany, he didn't drive up or something. He made some stupid excuse. And I think I touched on that or something else or something else that he did or didn't do. And, uh, oh man, he flared up, went off the rails real quick. And I immediately had to get it right back on track and bring it back to my side of the street, which I did. And, um, you know that's a daily thing. My big thing was it's 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 like a living amends. He's still very sick, and you can't control him. No, I can't. I can't. No, you know. And uh, but 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 continuing on, like I've just recovery has trickled into my family, dude. Like in so many ways, so many ways. Um, it's truly a miracle, you know. But you know, my dad still sees. You know, I know he sees the difference, but it's like you know, it doesn't always, matter what he sees. Does yeah. All that matters yeah. is, is is where you're at, and um, I think uh, I think this was very comprehensive. Yeah, the only other thing I'd say I'd want to touch on is the work that I started doing in my second year and going to Codependence Anonymous, learning out some. Where do you go to that? There's a meeting in Huntington in person. Honestly, though, it's a lot of like you know, there wasn't many men, there wasn't any available sponsors. It was a good different fellowship to share about different things and learn about different things. But about six, seven months ago, I started going to ACA. Now, that is hardcore, man. You're, you're talking about healing and loving on your inner child. And you know what's a beautiful thing? Because my dad's still alive and I've had to been able to go there in recovery, it was because of the danger in, in, in going and being around you know, him and that I was able to identify. Then, and in that program, you have your inner child, you have your inner teen, and then you have like a critical parent in your own head, you know, and then you become your own loving parent. And that's a process. And and by, by I'm, I'm moving quick <coughs> compared to a lot of people in that program because I've done the 12 steps and I'm, I'm, I'm you know how that works. Yeah. But also that sounds like, very nice to become your, cool, own loving, your own loving like parent. right now you're designed or I'm designed to be the perfect. I would have been the perfect parent to my younger self. Right. Right now. Right. And I believe that. Like, right. My curiosity, the attention, all that stuff, I would have Where do you uh, go to ACA? To. Oh, man, there's one right in Ronkonkoma. It's good? Yeah, dude. When yeah. is it? Friday nights. What time? 7 p.m. Oh, I'm plugging it right now. Yeah, there's, uh, it's, it's, just, it's just so much deeper, man. People are sharing about, you know, I don't know. It's just such depth. But it's, it's just the, the, the work of, you know, loving and healing on your inner child and you know, there's a great Netflix documentary called Stuts. Yeah. Yeah. It's, they touch on a good amount of the work there, too, where, where Jonah Hill is looking back at his younger self where he was, you know, he didn't accept that part of him, you know, when he was overweight in high school and stuff. And then he loves and accepts and brings him with him to his fame. And that's, it's like part of what you do. Because when I'm loving on my inner child and protecting him, because I still don't have boundaries for myself, man. I put myself, or you know, being around my dad for too long or enduring too much, like, uh, it's 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 traumatizing, you know. And then 
by loving on and protecting with boundaries my inner self, it like the man appears. It's weird. It's like I feel more. So how do you do that? Um, first is identifying it. It's it's identifying the inner child. Like I didn't judge my. There was a time I was driving to my dad's and I f- was trying to like armor up with you know recovery, talking to a sponsor, whatever. Just before I went, and I had already been to an ACA meeting, and I and I just uh, no judgment on the way there was driving and in the passenger seat of my car, I literally pretended, but meant it like if my inner child, like a five, how do you, how do you identify your inner child? Like I just start, it's funny in the book, there's like, in the ACA book, in the ACA book, there's like a workbook too, to becoming a loving parent. And and it's like something about, um, like, what would your, what would you name your inner child? And I'm like, mind, I'm like, it's fucking Andre. Like <laughs> it's my name, right? But no, I started. I no joke again. And a lot of it, you want to like laugh or judge yourself when you first when I first did it. But I didn't. I was driving, and in the passenger seat, I pretended that my little inner child self was sitting there with me, and I was like loving on him and protecting him. And I, and I just was like, uh, you know. I, I, I just made him feel safe. I said, you know, like, I love you, Poppy. I called him Poppy, which is like a Hispanic way of, you know, endearing term for a young child. Oh, I love the term Poppy. Right? And I was, like, l- loving on him and just making him feel safe and enough. And even if he fell and on his face, like, to just encourage him. Like, he could do no right, wrong. Right, right, you know, right. innocent. It's okay. Right? It's okay. You're safe with me, you know? So there's that dynamic. And then there's, when you keep going, there's an inner team, which I envision as the kid who first went and probably saw the prostitute with dad and then eventually started taking pills and progressed and 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 he was wearing the mask and it endured so much throughout life in my 20s you know you're still everybody has a child in them dude you could i talked to guys in their 60s 70s 80s in the meetings and you could see it in them dude they can even share about it right right you know um, and then we have this critical parent, our own great, I, I always said, I'm, 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 my, I'm my greatest judge in life. It's my dad and my brother, but you know, no one's worse than me to myself, you know, beating the shit out of myself, you know? So by, by kind of silencing the critical parent, reframing, capturing and reframing those, those negative How do you thoughts, do that? dude, when they come up, like if. It's subtle. It's subconscious. And you don't realize that they feed, they, they, they come up, like, again, picking up the phone like we started in the morning. Like, if you're looking at doubts and fears, like these, those, those, those quick thoughts. I'm not good enough. Yeah. Like, and they're not, they, they, they're, they're subtle. I'm never going to be as good as this person. Yeah. My life is never going to look Anything. like that. Yeah. And you know, it's weird because it's, a, it's, it's evolved into this way. I even where in the, in the morning I've connected. And again, I wish it was the same thing I could do, like a ritual every day, but it's not. But I, I tend to put my like right arm around my gut. I tend to, to envision my inner child like around my gut area. And then my inner teen, I'll put my arm around like my shoulder, you know. And again, the inner teen is someone that tends to, he, he acts out, man. He like wants that, you know, whether I'm having a good day or a bad day, I'm not going to blame him calling the attic, but. He wants what he wants. He, he, he wants. lashes out, man. He's he fucking Yeah, dude. It's 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 he's the angry one. He gets so so it's like but so there are times where like I kinda have to discipline him and check him almost. Do you like call a, him Poppy also? No, 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 dude. I don't even know. I have to develop that relationship more so with, with you him. You call him Flacco? A little Flacco. <laughs> <laughs> 
little skinny boy. Yeah, yes. you know, that's fucking. But, but yeah, but like pretend you're talking to a teen who like is a know-it-all, but like a little angry, but like I'm not, I, part of me wanted to thank and, 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 and applaud him, but you also, I kind of have to give it with a sense of, of discipline too. Like, like check him. Like, no, we're not going to do that today. We're not going to just act out do and, and do this because guess what? Then I carry that guilt and shame right. afterwards. It's like, this is I'm an opportunity for us to elevate. Exactly. And then when I do that, I do elevate. And then when I, when I align myself and I've maybe disciplined or, um, you know, not disciplined like aggressively, but, but, but addressed the teen, right, and loved on the inner child, I feel aligned with myself. And like I said, I feel like the man appears, dude. I feel more like a man I've ever felt in my life, more like my authentic self. Mm. And then in that process, like I said, I'll be laying in bed. People look me, I never felt the need to, to be on my knees to pray. But if I'm laying face down on my bed and I got the arm on the shoulder, one arm on the gut, and I'm loving on my myself, I connect to God more in that way, you know? And, uh, you know, I never needed to understand. Like I, I, you know, I don't know. I always thought knowledge is not, I thought I, bro, I tried figuring this out so many ways. You know, I know people that know the big book front to back. I know people that know the Bible front to back and they couldn't stay sober or they couldn't live. No, it's, it's about it's living it. It's about living it and, and feeling it. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, no one can tell me. It's so weird. Again, another miracle. The recovery's trickled. Me and my brother, we got baptized over the summer. Now, I don't co-sign the religion, man. I get freaked out when I go to the church and I talk to these people sometimes because in a meeting, we have that instant camaraderie. You can have two days sober, just lost your family, your house, and all this stuff, and if you're speaking your truth, there's love. I, 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 there's love, and I connect with you. I and, and I know that that's where you're at. Whereas some of these people, they'll get up dressed up in their Sunday best, you know, and have this whole other right. It's a whole other thing. Yeah. So yeah. But um, Andre. Yeah. You did it. You brought <laughs> way more than I expected. But it's a lot to it's a lot to um yeah to think about too. And you should come back to the beach because we miss you. Yeah, that was good. That, that's my final <laughs> guilt and nudge. No, because you 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 went out as this pilgrim and you learned all this stuff. Well, bring it back. If you bring it back, it to us yeah. will benefit and you'll benefit. Totally. You know. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely one of my one of my uh, one of my meetings. So you know, it's just tough every day. But that's because you don't like to get up so early. Yeah, that's too. You should get up too. early. Go to bed earlier. Get up early. <laughs> so that's it. You got to keep growing. These, Did you have these, fun? Was this good for you? This was good, man. This right. was good. Very good. Thank you, Andre. Yeah. Thank you. All right. That's a very, very long, comprehensive talk with Andre. But I loved it. I hope you guys like it. Send in an email or a voicemail to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Let me know what you thought about Andre and the overt chem sex nature of the beginning of our show this week and the body smuggling trafficking i don't think that was real just to be clear i want to thank everybody involved in the doposphere the dopeyverse from cormac at reddit to selby who does very little to all the admins at the dopey podcast official group and dopey nation Aviza and Dominic and Leah and Paulina, Andrew, fucking Ben Croxton, Chrissy. You guys are just amazing. Britta doing the art. I think Claire might be done with us. We'll see. Claire, 
There might be a new a new position open that Claire has recently vacated. We'll see if Claire is back or not. I uh, I love making the show. I'm glad you guys are listening. Look for Fentanyl J to make his return. Look for my dad to make his return shortly, although we did just do a video of him on Patreon. Join Patreon. Let me know if you're still listening. Send in shit. Be part of the show. Be part of the community. And stay strong, Dopey Nation. And fucking toodles for Chris. 